You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ah, got him. That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The end of the prime in accordance with the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues. Yet another episode of our uh, Star Wars Saga rewatch and commentary. Um, this week we're doing episode two, Attack of the Clones. As always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I've got my co-hosts, Tim and Paul, with me. How's it going, guys? Hey, what's up, guys? As you probably guess, I'm excited for this one. <laughs> I'm Ugh. glad one of the ones I'm most anticipating is number two. So <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, uh, I am, uh, I'm going to have to take a number two on this movie. I'm oh just my kidding. Gosh. I'm wow. just kidding. <laughs> I couldn't resist. So he said, it's, thankfully, it's number two. And I'm like, I have to make a number two joke. So. <laughs> no, you, you didn't <laughs> have to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to gross everyone out. Um, no, I, I don't. I don't think i don't really think that so it's this uh no attack of the clones is one of those movies that reviewed your opinion is (laughs) (laughs) uh no but i i uh okay we'll get into my opinion of attack of the clones in this movie but it's not it's not my favorite of the star wars films but there's i have specific reasons but there's great moments in it and and it's star wars and i love star wars and that goes for all star wars films no matter what flaws they have even ones that it came out in the last uh, couple years, maybe um, yeah, year or so. But uh, as I said, uh, I love Star Wars, so we'll get into my my critiques of the of the film. But uh, yeah, I I love Star Wars. I had, I had a blast. I I knew I was gonna have fun doing the Phantom Menace commentary, and all the future also be fun. But it was it was really really fun doing the the, the Phantom Menace commentary with you guys. So I'm I'm jazzed to keep doing these and. I think I think people are gonna like listening to it too. So yeah, I'm um, I'm eager to get started. Yeah, I think this is gonna be a fun one. Um, so let's go ahead and get started. Uh, just like last time, we skipped all the intro. Uh, you know, 20th Century Fox home video and the the rated PG-13 and all. Or I think this one's just PG, but you know, all that stuff at the beginning. We're at the beginning of the chapter of the actual movie so we're at zero out of 222 um if you're trying to follow along with us at home and want to uh actually watch the movie and listen to our commentary at the same time um which i would encourage i think that'd be a fun uh thing yeah, to do you know sure. if you're, yeah if you enjoy listening to us talk star wars um to be able to watch a star wars movie and hear our commentary along with it so um that's where we're starting at we're gonna go on punch it as usual Sounds good. Of course. All right. Ready? Three, two, one. Punch it.
There's that infamous Fox logo again. Better enjoy it while we can. Well, we got it for, you know, four more movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. So, Tim, since you're the one who probably probably loves this movie the most, tell us what was what was coming out of the theater like for the first time for you for Attack of the Clones? After it was over, I just remember walking out of the theater just thinking, man, I just saw a really great new Star Wars movie. It was a totally different feeling after seeing episode one for the first time because I just really felt it delivered for me on a lot of the stuff I was looking forward to it. And just even going into it in general, the hype for it for me was a little different than episode one because I was really curious to see if, you know, Lucas would kind of get back to like some of the fans he may be disappointed with the Phantom Menace and do things differently. And for the most part, and even though I liked Phantom Menace at that time, like we said on our commentary there, I was always one of the defenders of it during that period. But I was hoping, you know, this would be the movie that the fans would want and we're looking for in the Star Wars prequels. And after the movie was over, I felt that. I thought, this is great. This is something I was hoping it would be. It hit, checked all the right boxes off for me. And yeah, there was a few things, which I'm sure we'll get into, that could have been better. But even though that was the feeling I had, I learned soon after that not everyone <laughs> felt that way with the movie. But I remember mm -hmm. there was a positive vibe in the theater when I first saw it that time. Everyone was excited. I'm sure a lot of it had to do with the Yoda and Dooku fight. But there was just a real positive energy coming out of the theater that night almost like the feeling like, yeah this is like star wars is really back this time there's a lot of cool stuff yeah. so mm -hmm. it was a really great experience seeing it for the first time yeah i remember when i saw it for the first time in the theater people were cheering during the yoda and dooku fight yep. and like chanting oh, and for like sure. cheering for yoda um yeah yeah it was cool and of course i was still like 11 when this movie came out so I loved it and again still didn't really understand like the hate and the criticism for it until a few years later and getting into uh, you know, online Star Wars fandom, but um, this is one of the rare Star Wars movies that begins with not kind of a slow pace, not a lot of action going into it, and also the, I think the only Star Wars movie that pans upward after yeah. the crawl instead of downward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's one of the only ones. I love the look of that ship. It's like a giant like airliner kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like very, very uh, vintage. Not vintage. What's the word I'm looking for? But like very sleek kind of 30s feel yeah retro, so yeah retro, it's like, like a cross between like a big you know like a boeing 747 like a big passenger carrier like luxury you know of course it's all sleek and shiny it's like a big luxury like cruise plane mixed with like a stealth bomber kind of with like the yeah. wide wings and just that sleek kind of angular design and of mm -hmm. course naboo starfighters again love seeing those I love the foggy look here. On yeah, Coruscant. it's a great atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Yep. So when this movie came out, I want people to remember that it was not just following up the, the Phantom Menace controversy, quote unquote controversy, but more of the fact that what it came out around, this came out in 2002, the summer of 2002, Spider-Man yep. would have just come out right before this movie. It was huge. <laughs> huge. Uh, what came out after this? There's something else that came out afterwards that I was like, I couldn't, I was just like, what? 
What was it? Um, I think it might have been another Harry Potter movie. Like, Harry Potter and, and Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers came out that year. That was way after, though. But Yeah, yeah well, I think yeah. so was Harry Potter because that came out. Those were November releases, I want to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. For some reason, I thought Harry Potter was a summer release. Well, I want to say maybe they, they switched eventually. The first two movies came out a year apart in November, and then they started coming out like a year and a half apart. So they'd alternate between like summer and uh, holiday time. Yeah. Well, I, I remember I just remember remember there was Spider-Man and there was um, and, and Star Wars. And that I couldn't believe we were getting that in the same summer. I felt like that was going to be geek heaven. Like you couldn't you couldn't find another. You're never going to have another year like that. <laughs> Lucky enough. Uh, last year it would have blown my mind. I would have been doing backflips if I knew what was coming out within like you know a month of each other last year. So oh, yeah. Amazing what uh, you know what 18, 17 years, whatever how long it's been, uh, will do to you. So yeah, it was it was an interesting time for me because I had just gotten back home from living in Minnesota for a couple of years and saw Spider Man. You know, one of my favorite characters of of fictional uh, anything. And that was a, a mind blowing kind of a you know uh, achievement goal of mine to see my favorite character in a, his actual live action movie, and then episode two I wasn't as excited for episode two going into uh, the, the Attack of the Clones, and it just a lot of my friends were not excited for it because of the Phantom Menace, and it's sad to admit that, but I think also they kind of toned down the marketing a little bit on attack of the clones. I mean, it was still had like marketing, but they didn't like have as many action figures. It wasn't all in your face. Like it was the Phantom Menace. And I read that was purposeful from Lucas. Like he wanted to kind of like tone it down a little bit. Do you guys remember reading about that at all? No, not not really. really. But I, I kind of think it was the opposite though, at least in this, like the winter of 2001 in November, when we got the first trailer, because they released three teasers like within a few weeks of each other, if you remember. There was the breathing right. one. That's then right. The, yeah. the bonus that came with the Phantom Menace DVD that you unlocked. And then they came out with the Forbidden Love one just after, like a week after. So I was like, man, they released really three trailers in the span of three what, weeks. This is awesome. What I read was that the the merchandise, as far as that goes, maybe that's what I'm referring to. The merchandise was, was, to, was toned down considerably. Yeah, I, don't, you know, I just want to bring it back to the movie for a second. Talk about the uh, just sort of this opening scene here setting. Uh, like, I love the way that this is kind of setting up the whole conflict for this movie and setting up a lot of the themes that you see continue into the Clone Wars. Talking about, um, you know, Ryota's talking about the dark side clouding everything and uh, Mace Windu's line about, you know, the Jedi being keepers of the peace and not soldiers and how that yep. obviously oh, gets flipped on its head by the end of the movie. Um, yeah. and the way that you already see Palpatine just, you know, pulling down that veil over everybody's eyes and just, you know, they're all completely oblivious to the way that he's manipulating all this. Even though Yoda gives him that suspicious look that I love. I mean, that was in the first teaser trailer <laughs> that was mentioned mm-hmm. with breathing. It was like that suspicious look as he set his eyes. Speaking of Yoda, uh, I, I was immediately in love with the digital Yoda and everyone tried to criticize it. I'm like, no, this is the future. This is, this looks incredible. And yeah. I thought he was great. Oh, yeah, I loved it. Love it in this movie. Love it in Revenge of the Sith. And it's so much better than the puppet Yoda that they had in Phantom Menace. And I'm glad they went back and replaced Mm -hmm. that one, too. Mm -hmm. I still think it's better. Go ahead, Tim. I was going to say, such a great documentary on the DVDs from uh, Puppets to Pixels. Oh, really showed how important it was with Rob Coleman trying to make sure they just got it perfect. And they did. I prefer, honestly, I think the digital Yoda looks 
just as good, if not better, than the Last Jedi puppet Yoda. I said it. So well, I'm sorry. I, I probably agree with you. And I'd say even certain aspects of the Empire and Jedi Yoda. I mean, I yeah. thought it might sound well, sacrilege. I won't go that but far, but yeah. Cer- I think especially in Revenge of the Sith, there's some shots yeah, in there. Yeah, there are some amazing. Well, yeah, and I mean, I think the physical puppet Yoda just has like a charm to it and a realism yeah. that comes through, especially in Mark Hamill's performance of interacting with him and stuff. Like, I wouldn't replace the the original Yoda in Empire and Jedi for anything, but I do think you know, obviously, you like with the the digital, you maybe lose a little bit of that, but then you also gain some additional, you know, maybe just movement and expressiveness and stuff that you can do with him. I mean, obviously, especially the the lightsabers and the action scenes and stuff like that. Um, but even, you know, just when he hit his ears do little quivering things or, you know, just certain facial expressions that he has that just would have been hard to pull off with a puppet. Like it's, it's kind of a give and take, but I'm definitely, I, I like what they were able to do with him, um, in, in the prequels. So, um, I don't think it would like, again, I wouldn't replace him in the original trilogy, but yeah, for these movies, I think it, I don't think it was a mistake for sure to go with a, a digital Yoda. I think they did a really good job with it. Yeah. Uh, so this is uh, Jar Jar's what pretty much only scene besides the pivotal scene later on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was the thing. Once I realized that everybody hated Jar Jar Binks so much, I was like, well, wait, why does everybody hate him just for being, you know, silly and annoying in The Phantom Menace? If anything, hate on him for Attack of the Clones and handing over the the Senate to Palpatine on a silver platter. Like, um I'll never say that because that's how we got the clone army. <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm just saying as far as in universe and pivotal moments, like you could kind of pin this all on him. Now, not really, because obviously Palpatine is smarter than that. And if it wasn't Jar Jar, it was going to be somebody else. Like he's going to yeah. get what he wants one way or another. But still. I really like this scene, too, with the interaction with Obi-Wan and Anakin, where Anakin, you know, tries to impress Padme by saying they'll find the killer. And Obi-Wan just really goes into full on master mode and just kind of knocking him down and Anakin tries to fight him back. And, you know, everyone could say what they want about Hayden Christians and his Anakin, but I thought for the most part, him and his interactions and with Obi-Wan, I really felt the master and apprentice relationship that was supposed to be on display here. And, and as we were kind of talking about with the Phantom Menace commentary about Obi-Wan kind of, Anakin looking first looking to him as a father and then they become like brothers. And this one, it makes sense at this point where it's really the... St- a teacher and student relationship more so than the brother aspect here. And this gets across really well. I felt in this part. Oh yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, I don't, a Django fat. So I don't, I, any scene in Django fat in this movie is the best. <laughs> true. Yeah. I mean, how can you just not love the look of that Mandalorian armor? I know. And his um, voice to Tim Morrison's New Zealand accent voice. is so cool coming out of that helmet. <laughs> um, oh, but I was going to say, going back to the Anakin and Obi-Wan relationship, um, I mean, I totally agree with what you were just saying, Tim. Like, I don't think they're su- they're not supposed to be at that point yet where they're brothers. Like, that doesn't happen until episode three when Anakin becomes a Jedi Knight and they're peers. And they've fought side by side in the Clone Wars for so many years. Um, but definitely, like, having the, the master and apprentice dynamic in this movie is, like, a huge part of their relationship. And it just works so well. And I think you need that, obviously, to see Anakin's... Um, frustration with Obi-Wan and with the Jedi in general and kind of feeling like he's more powerful and like kind of knows better and and has more potential than they're allowing him and all that kind of thing. Um, But at the same time, showing his own flaws too. Like, you know, yeah, maybe they underestimate him or kind of treat him 
uh, like he's young and inexperienced, but that's because he is, and like he kind of can get ahead of himself sometimes. And yep. so they they kind of both have a lot to learn, and you know, a, a ways to go in sort of growing in their relationship. It's that bit of dialogue that we just had between them. I just love where they get they're going at it. Where Obi Wan kind of tells him, you know, you're not that attuned, my young apprentice, and Anakin's like, oh, or yours are, <laughs> possibly. What's really interesting is that Obi Wan here, you know, he he obviously he's obviously been telling Obi Wan he's getting visions yeah. and everything, but what's interesting is that Obi Wan's just kind of like, oh, dreams fade, no big deal. I, I kind of, it's interesting that they kind of downplay these things that haunt Anakin. And even because Yoda, Yoda does it too in, in episode three, he's just kind of like, learn to let go, dude. It's mm-hmm. just like, uh, it's just interesting that, you know, maybe that was also a downfall, part of the downfall of the Jedi is the fact that they just kind of downplay these these serious things that are going on emotionally in, in, in people and that, and that maybe dreams don't fade, you know? So, because you would think that Anakin's hardly the first Jedi to be haunted by visions and things like that and to act on those visions, right? Well, mm-hmm. I think that goes into the whole attachment and emotion thing with the Jedi and how they are not mm. supposed to have that. Most Jedi probably didn't feel the way Anakin was feeling because they were brought in so young and don't have those attachments. But Anakin's a different case. And maybe, I don't know, he doesn't tell Obi-Wan the full extent of his dreams that you know his mother's in pain. And that's why maybe Obi-Wan's not too concerned. Maybe he just tells him he's dreaming of his mother and is kind of chalking it up to, oh, it's probably because he misses her and all that. And that's why he just says, you know, they'll pass in time, but it's that close attachment that he has with her that they just don't see. And maybe Anakin doesn't quite reveal all to Obi-Wan. So, yeah, but I agree. That's definitely interesting as far as, you know, just again, the downfall of the Jedi when it's all said and done. I also don't think Anakin is having like the dreams that he's having right now that he's talking about, I don't think are quite as clear and intense as the dream that he has later when he tells Padme, you know, I saw her as clearly as I see you now, like she's suffering because here he's like, I don't know why I keep dreaming about her. Um, I think it's kind of more vague and it's maybe like a little bit of a premonition, but he's not like, oh, crap, my mom's in danger because he probably would have ran off already to try to go save her if that was the case. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know it's convenient later because he's with Padme and Obi-Wan's not there, so he's not really there to, uh, you know, to keep him in check or to stop him from running off and doing that. Um, but still, you know, you would think that Anakin would have still wanted to, to act on that, or at least would have told Obi-Wan about like, Hey, like I'm worried. I'm having like very vivid visions of my mother dying. Um, as opposed to just being like, Oh, you know, I'm dreaming about her and it's kind of troubling me, but like, I'm not really sure why. Um, so I just don't think he's really clear on that yet. I also love the fact that Obi-Wan just jumps out and grabs this droid, like, without hesitation. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to figure it out. I'm not going to die. I'm just going to grab this thing and fly around Coruscant. Like, no big deal. Yeah. I think, I mean, but at the same time, Jedi are superheroes, right? I mean, that's kind yeah. of what they're... So it's like, he's probably done stuff like this before and will know how to know where to land because he can see things before they happen. So it's just interesting that it, it kind of plays in the fact that he has no problem doing that and knowing he's... He, he's he probably may not die. It's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Trusting in the force, again, is probably, you know, what he's thinking right then and there, too, as well as trying to figure yeah. out what's going on. Also, real quick before we move on to the sequence, one of the best displays of lightsaber abilities, I think, of Anakin just so quickly jumping on the bed and slashing those small bugs without damaging Padme. Mm-hmm. I mean, you definitely did the force a good saber skills to do that. Yeah, it takes True. some precision. Well, you also have the, the line coming up here where he's like, 
If you uh, practice lightsaber skills as much as you practice your wit, you'd rival Master Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then he's like, I thought I already did. You know, and so oh, there, yeah. there's, some, there's some cool there's some cool lines in here. Though. Yeah, and again, that, that balance between like Anakin obviously being very skilled and very powerful, and thinking that mm-hmm. like he's better than they give him credit for, and at the same time, like he's still not quite as good as he thinks he is. Yeah, and I I think, but I think you know, I remember hearing about that line before the movie had even come out. And I remember being like, I'm not sure how I feel about that line. And in the movie and in context of everything, especially now, I'm really into it. I, I love the fact that George put that line because you, you have to establish the fact that Anakin is a powerful, powerful Jedi. Mm-hmm. Yeah again (laughs) well yeah for sure and i mean we even talked about like in episode one did it feel you know a little too bit of too much of a stretch to have you know this nine-year-old kid like flying a starfighter and blowing up ships and you know racing a pod racer at 600 miles an hour or whatever it is um but now like even though he's still young and kind of inexperienced like he's an adult like he's supposed to be 19 in this movie so like you know, even though he's not a Jedi Knight yet, he's still an apprentice and he's got a lot to learn. He's still, you know, fully capable um, and able to do a lot with the Force. And especially us knowing that, like, he's the chosen one. He's got more midi-chlorians than Yoda. Like, yeah, I don't think, at least for me, I never had a problem with, you know, the idea of 19-year-old Anakin rivaling Yoda as a swordsman. They don't say that he's better than Yoda, but... um and even, you know, Anakin's like, oh, I thought I already did. And Obi-Wan's like, yeah, only in your mind. But the fact that, like, even that idea is kind of being thrown around doesn't seem out of place to me. I love that Anakin's just loving all this, the speeder chase. As Obi-Wan's panicking and telling him to pull up, Anakin's just laughing right That's there. literally <laughs> me whenever I fly. I'm <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm just like, Aah. so I'm like Kenobi. We're very similar that way. What do you guys think of their speeder and its design? Because I remember back when StarWars.com, they had a weekly feature. They would release some new behind-the-scene image or, in the rare cases, an actual image from the movie. And one of them was the first look at the yellow speeder. And I remember thinking, oh, man, I don't know if that's going to fit. It's a, looking a little too retro 50-style race cars that I know that Lucas loves, and that's why he probably wants to put that in there. But in the end, it works in the environment of Coruscant and Absolutely. kind of with the other mm-hmm. vehicles we see here. I never minded it. Uh, you know, and I was pretty critical of some stuff back then. I was, you know, a little more hard on Star Wars, and I've totally accepted all the designs for the most part. And I, I think again, it's a, you know, it's a bigger galaxy. We in the original trilogy, mm-hmm. I accepted the fact that it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, a galaxy in turmoil that's kind of just reusing the old things because they're not making new things. No one can afford it because the empire yep. put everyone in oppression. This is a time of like Renaissance for everyone that they have. People are spending money and things like that. You have sports cars and sports speeders, whatever. So it makes more sense in the context. And I really love that aspect that again, George knew better to say, or everything couldn't all look the same. Like it did from the original trilogy. There had to be a reason for why things looked like that way. And I love the fact that you have a different look in the prequel trilogy. So yeah, the speeders didn't, I didn't hate it when I saw it, but I, I love the, the designs more so now. Yeah. And I think I've always liked them. I think they're just, I mean, both of these speeders are just kind of cool, sleek designs. Yeah. Zam's um, cool too. And I think I, I like hers better though. <laughs> what? I think I like Zam's a little better though. Hers was oh yeah, I would cool agree. Look. Yeah. Hers is cool with the, just sort of those prongs in the front and the tails going back. I'm trying to remember if I ever had the Lego set of that. I know I wanted it 
Um, and I'm, I can't remember if I ever actually had it or maybe I just remember playing with it at a friend's house or something like that. But yeah, I always thought that was a cool design. And I mean, kind of in contrast to what you were talking about, Paul, in like criticizing the ship designs and stuff like for me, because I was a kid when these movies came out, I just kind of accepted all of it as Star Wars, you know, like it's hard for me to remember like sort of what my first reaction to it was because it's like, you know, even though I, I was older when I saw these movies than I was when I first was introduced to the original trilogy, like I was still young enough that I look at it now and I'm like, I grew up with all of this. Like, this is just Star Wars to me. And I'm more critical of like the newer movies because now it's adding stuff, you know, adding mm. new things to this story in this universe that I've been familiar with for most of my life now. Um, but, you know, for stuff like this, I was just like, OK, yeah, cool. New speeders, new weapons, new bounty hunters, whatever. Um I just was, you know, taking it all in and it's, you know, it's just an inseparable part of Star Wars for me now. I One of the things I like about Attack of the Clones, one of the many things, is this whole beginning sequence. I really like how this movie starts off. As we were talking about in the first few scenes, it's slower paced, but once this chase gets going, it's kind of a cool chain of events and action sequences here. But I just love how they're kind of really showing the Jedi almost as like police officers and some of the things they do mm-hmm. investigating this crime. And then they go on a chase to apprehend the criminal who might be behind it. She sneaks away and then goes into the, the bar, which is a sequence I love. I just love how we're seeing the side of the Jedi that, you know, we kind of heard about and knew about, but we never saw before. And the fact that we got a sequence like that in this movie is one of the reasons I love it. Yeah, and it's like this is what they do when they're not fighting Sith because even though mm-hmm. that's what we see them do a lot in the movies, we know like for the past thousand years they haven't been doing that all that much. Yeah, and just and we're so used to them now, especially with the Clone Wars, seeing them in war and acting as generals. But this was kind of what they did on a more regular basis, is what we're seeing Obi Wan and Anakin do here. Mm-hmm. I like seeing this area of Coruscant too, because this is yeah. the first time that we really explore anything other than. Well, I mean, obviously, and we don't even see Coruscant in the original trilogy. Um, and then in the Phantom Menace, you just see the Senate building and the Jedi we Temple. We Coruscant in Return of the Jedi. Well, I, yeah, I know that, but it wasn't in there originally. <laughs> they only it's added that because it was going to be in the prequels. Um, <laughs> oh, stop. You know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> I got to be that person. You know me, Kyle. Come on. But, um, you know, this being the first time that you see, uh, you know, anything other than just the temples and the skyscrapers and the glitzy glammy stuff up top, you know, seeing kind of the seedy underbelly of it. Um, and obviously it kind of has like a Moss Eisley cantina vibe going on, but it's, I think a way different spin on it, you know, all these neon drenched colors and everything. Um, and it's a little bit of a, you know, it doesn't feel like the same kind of scum and villainy of like, you know, a, a outlandish desert planet. It's like, um, you know, the, you, you can see some of these people being more like socialites and stuff like that, but still very kind of like shady and sleazy kind of things. So I like it. And I think I, it's really cool. And I like to, I think this kind of a little foreshadowing for Obi-Wan in the, in the cantina too. He goes immediately to the bar there mm-hmm. to kind of see what pilots he could find. And here he just goes, you know, for a drink as Anakin asks him where he's going, he goes straight love to the it. bar. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love, I, yeah. I love the fact that it shows that, Obi-Wan's like, whatever, I'm cool. Like, he likes to go out and enjoy himself a little bit. Like he said, like, yeah, that, that's great. I, I want more of that. I want I want to have some Obi-Wan uh, canon stories where it's just him chilling out, a little bit of adventure, but kind of showing the, the, the chill side of, uh, of Obi-Wan. Oh, yeah, I love, there was a book, I think it was Labyrinth of Evil, 
um, from the old Legends canon. It, yeah. it was a story that took place like right. It led right into uh, Revenge of the Sith. But I th- it was Anakin and Obi-Wan like at the tail end of the Clone Wars. And I forget how it starts, but basically they're on the tail of like trying to find out about the, the plan um, for the Chancellor getting kidnapped. Um, but it's like there's kind of a leaker and informant about it or something, and they're trying to track down this lead and stuff. And they go to this one planet, and they're they're looking for an informant on this planet, and they're kind of in like the central city or whatever. And they basically go bar hopping, like looking for this guy. It's like <laughs> oh, they, that's awesome. they go in all these different cantinas and stuff, and like every one that they go to, like to be polite and not be like suspicious and stand out, like they get a drink, like and you know they're not like you know drinking to drink but like you know they'll have a drink at like every cantina they go to but by the end of it they're like slightly drunk as they're trying to find this guy it was hilarious you know now that you mention it i remember it was kate on the modia because i remember when i read that it went into the line at revenge of the sith where obi-wan tells anakin that business on kate and the modia doesn't doesn't count yeah. so I, I remember harkening back to that book yeah you're right really i do i do like the claudite as a species to the shapeshifters mm-hmm I've never been a fan of the, I'm not a shapeshifter guy. I, I, I've just, it's been, it's a tired, tired trope. It's, it makes sense, but yeah, I'm not a big fan of the, of that uh, it's a, trope anyway. Yeah. It's a trope, but at the same time, I'm glad it's one that exists in star Wars too. Cause I do like sure, it, even sure, though sure, I know sure. it can't be overused. Right. Yeah. I think it fits pretty well. I mean, it's not like my favorite part of the movie or anything, but I think it was kind of an interesting idea. And like you said, it's a, yeah. a, trope that you see a lot but it's something that we hadn't seen in star wars before and i thought they made it fit fair really enough well. and there's we that new jerk mace windu yep, we got <laughs> some new members on the council this time mm-hmm. no more yaddle shed a tear <laughs> yeah no more yaddle no more uh yarrow poof which yep. is the guy with like the three foot neck i don't know why but this shot of yoda i think that's the worst he ever looks in cg there's just something you know, about I, it yeah i can hmm. see that I could see that. It's still it's fine with me, but I mean, yeah, you Keanu, can you can really notice fast. that it's off a little. Keanu Mundy has a weird like cross leg thing. <laughs> I'm sorry, it looks weird. I he's just like, notice that. Yeah, it's like his legs are like uh, like deformed or something. I don't know. And I love again how we're starting to see Palpatine just pulling yeah. Anakin strings subtly. Um, you know, stoking his ego, telling him you don't need guidance from the council. You know, you're the most gifted Jedi I've ever met. And, you know, kind of building him up and making he's think, making him think that he's better than the rest of the Jedi and he doesn't need them. Yeah, this is, this is like, I remember, yeah, it's pretty much their only scene together in the movie, but it's such an important one. Yeah. They just, Lucas had to get one in there with them because... It would have made Revenge of the Sith not feel quite as natural. If you're just going by watching episodes one, two, and three and not factoring all the stuff with the Clone Wars. But the fact that he got one in there with them two talking and, like you said, kind of, you know, starting the manipulation a little bit. And this is really important. Yeah, for sure. And And Yoda's floating chair. (laughs) Even going back to what we were talking about earlier with the comparison between Anakin and Yoda and Palpatine, obviously, you know, throws that line in there where he says, you're becoming even more powerful than Master Yoda. Mm. And this is another good sequence I like here, too. Again, establishing or the downfall of the Jedi where Yoda says, you know, even the older, more experienced ones are becoming more arrogant. And it's like something the Jedi don't really see or at least... Yoda's is starting to notice it now. And 
even from a fan perspective, I think going into the prequels of episode one, that was one of the negative criticisms I heard about as far all oh, this, you know, the Jedi are just, you know, so stoic. They, this is what I had never pictured the Jedi to be this way. And it's kind of disappointing that this is how the Jedi are. But yet in the grand scheme of things and how Lucas wanted things to unfold, it's that was all by design making them this way because they're really not supposed to be this way. And Lucas knew that and which led to the, to their downfall. And I think that's brilliant, but it's mm-hmm. in those little sequences like that where we're getting told that that's really not the case or it is becoming a problem for the Jedi that they are acting that way. Yeah. And it's, I mean, even the way that Yoda kind of mentions that and he says, um, you know, even the older, more experienced ones are, are becoming more arrogant. Like it's, he's aware of it. Um, but not really doing anything about it. And you see that with some of their mm-hmm. other issues too, when they talk about, um, you know, feeling like, oh, the dark side is starting to cloud things or we're starting to lose our power. And even later in the movie, when Mace Windu says, I think it's time we inform the Senate that like our ability to use the force has been diminished. It's like they realize that these things are going on and that they are not, um, you know, sort of what they used to be or what they're supposed to be anymore, but they can't really do anything about it. Or at least they, you know, they either don't do anything about it or don't know what they should do. Um, but especially once they get swept up into the Clone Wars, um, you know, it's like they kind of just have to let things play out and keep playing the game. It's like, well, we can't really stop to uh, do a deep dive into the Jedi Order and figure out what's going on and, you know, what we need to change when we're in the middle of this war that we're in charge of fighting and leading all these troops into battle and stuff. And so they kind of just have to write it out and obviously don't get to do anything about it until it's too late. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, the, the one, I think some of the weakest acting of Hayden is this scene here, to be honest. And I think though his delivery, like, not like this part right here where he's talking to Padme, it's not too bad, but when he's like, it's not fair. And again, part of his dialogue, but I think, I think his performance is kind of, it's a little bit weaker. And this is some of the weakest stuff he has in the film. I, I think he gets a bad rap overall. But this is probably my, my least favorite. And I also mm. don't like the fact that Padme's doing laundry, basically. Uh, <laughs> well, she's packing her trip. I know, but it's just weird. It's just weird. It's a weird scene. It's not It's not one of the, 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 the saga's best, okay? That's all I'm saying. Oh, no, I don't think anybody would argue that it is. Well, right, but it's 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 weird. It's a weird scene. Like, this is a, this is a decent scene. I like this scene. And again, that- this is one of the things... I like about Attack of the Clones is what I feel is underrated. I think it has just one of the better stories and plots in a Star Wars movie. The fact that someone's trying to assassinate Padme and Obi-Wan and Anakin are involved in that. Obi-Wan does the investigation side. Anakin's on the protective side. And then it's kind of a simple story, but it develops into this huge thing once you get to Kamino and the clones and the Clone Wars star. I just love how it plays out. It's just such a great narrative, I think, that... I know I might be the only one that feels like this, but it's up there as one of my favorite Star Wars stories out of any of the movies. Yeah, no, I would agree with you on that. I mean, I definitely think there are some things that could have been executed better, but as sure. as a basic plot, like, I mean, I think there's some really good ideas in here. Um, and I mean, you brought up a good point about kind of the split between Anakin and Obi-Wan, like he Anakin gets assigned to protect Padme while Obi-Wan goes off and does the investigating. I think the movie maybe could have been even a little bit more interesting if... 
rather because I'm splitting them up and putting Anakin and Padme together off on Naboo really is just kind of an excuse to start building their romantic relationship, obviously, which is an important part of the story and needs to happen. But you maybe still could have like put them in danger and had Anakin actually have to protect her from something mm-hmm. um, or, you know, maybe. Uh, I mean, Jango Fett couldn't be involved because he's on Kamino with Obi-Wan, but like maybe the Separatists are like still tracking them to Naboo or something like that. Um, May I really fast here? We have Dex's diner and I have a I have to admit something. I hated this at first. It was too on the nose for me. And the 50s, I'm like, this is ridiculous. And I remember just being not into this at all. But since the Clone Wars... I've accepted and now appreciate what this is. And I don't, it does not bother me as it used to back in the day. For Mm. whatever reason, the Clone Wars and seeing other aspects of our world kind of cross over to Star Wars, not in a direct way, but be heavily influenced. It definitely made me accept it a little bit more than what I would have here. So like I said, I, I did not like this at first, but I definitely have softened and now appreciate what we have at Dex's Diner. I yeah, can understand I never, that, too. I never had a problem with the diner itself. Like, looking at it now, I'm like, just, you know, Dex as a character, it's kind of like, good idea, execution, eh, especially with the CGI. Uh, yeah. Like, he's one of the aspects of this movie that just doesn't really hold up. Um, yeah, we were talking about that on our episode one commentary. Yeah. And I have to agree with you. He is one of the weaker aspects of the CG technology in this film. Yeah, and it's, I like the character though. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but it's weird because I'm even I've kind of been trying to keep an eye on like the the CG and the effects and stuff since we started this movie, and it's maybe not quite as bad as I remember from the last time I watched it, but it's definitely. It sticks out more than Phantom Menace did. Like, yeah. just the... It's mainly his arms for me right now as I'm looking at it. Well, yeah. And I'm not talking about even just Dex in particular, although, yeah, his arms look like... I mean, you can clearly tell, like, he's not a real physical character. Uh-huh. I mean, we know that, obviously, but it, it's one of the things that looks he's like... He's not? Um, <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you, Paul. <laughs> um, but just, you know, looks looks not real, but even when characters are walking against, you know, all these CG backgrounds and stuff and just the edges of things that have been green screened out and stuff like it doesn't look terrible, but it looks not perfect. And you notice like right now you can tell they're totally walking against a green screen. And sometimes you can see like a very faint outline yep. again. I know exactly what you're talking about. And yep. stuff and um, it you depends know. What, which version you're watching because uh, on my TV, um, I'm watching on both my computer and my TV right now, Kyle, and I see it more on my computer screen than in my Blu-ray screen. Hmm. But I don't know. That's just, yeah. Yeah. It, I was just going to... Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Kyle. Kyle was going to move on to something else, but if you got one more thing to say. Yeah, about- I, don't, I don't need to keep harping on the CG. I mean, it's it's not perfect. <laughs> Lucas had a lot of big ideas. He, perf- I think, did a lot better in episode three um and episode two you know was kind of revolutionary for the time i mean it was the first movie to be shot completely on digital cameras and to use this much uh you know green screen and cgi and stuff and for 2002 it was pretty good but like it doesn't all hold up now jacosta knew if you know the the angry librarian you want to see what happens during canon read darth vader volume two 
Yeah. Oh, series. And just for a second, going back to Dexter Jetster, I do have to give him credit for, you know, if there was no Dex, we wouldn't have General Krell in the Clone Wars. So, And one of the yeah. greatest arcs ever <laughs> in Clone Wars. But I was just going to say, I'm so fascinated when I first read about it in the scene of the movie. And there was some dialogue that was cut between Jocasta Nu and Obi-Wan about the lost 20 of the mm-hmm. only 20 oh, Jedi right. who left yeah. the Order. They got their bus of their heads in the Jedi library. And I was so fascinated by that. And I still want to learn who those other 20 are and what their stories were and why they left. I just find that so fascinating that the Jedi would feel it's so important uh, to make a reminder out of those four, those 20 Jedi who left the order. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Duke, Dooku's one of them, right? Yeah. yeah that's yeah, the Duke, statue yeah, Obi-Wan was looking at. Yeah. 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 Uh, by the way, really fast before I interject, this is a uh, appreciation Padme wardrobe uh, comment. I, I really like this outfit she's got on right now. Just, and I'm being, I'm not being sarcastic. I'm being serious. I and really I'll, like her outfit. And this. I'll say this too. There are, everyone likes the rag on the Anakin Padme stuff. There's two scenes that I think are actually really good. That, I was, think that one. was one of them. Yeah, absolutely. That was one of the better ones. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is so adorable. This yeah. I, awesome I've scene. always loved this love scene it. here with Yoda yeah. training the younglings. This is all some employees. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How did you guys ever think that was Ahsoka once you first saw her in some Clone Wars uh, at the very beginning? Like, no. did you think possibly, like, um, depending how Tegruda's age, do they age quicker? <laughs> like, no, than most species, yeah. but because also that one looks more like Shock T, like she's red and white. Yeah. Um, yeah, that never really crossed my mind. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking really early on before I even saw the movie, just knowing that Ahsoka was going to be a new character. Maybe think, oh, is she that young Togruta in Attack of the Clones? But <laughs> I don't think so. I, I, I love, love that line that for... Yoda's giving him crap. You know, lost exactly. Like, I don't know what everyone has. Uh, I love you know, it. You brought up something about the Lost Twenty, uh, Tim. That I did. I I was not aware of a lot of the backstory that they were doing for the films at the time, and because of during this time I was full on doing music, just, you know, trying to figure out what my career is going to be outside of music. And just, I was devoting all my money to music basically and comic books for Marvel and anything star Wars pretty much got put on the back burner as far as like my interest, you know, as a kid, except for buying the films themselves, I never did any of the extra material. So I missed out on a lot of the EU extended uh, universe stuff even when I got excited for, you know, even the Phantom Medicine Attack of the Clones would get me kind of Jones and to get into the books and stuff, I would see how many books that were available. I'd be like, oh, God, I can't do this. So I just would skip it. But uh, one of the things I missed out on was The Lost 20. I only found out about The, about the Lost 20 in the last couple of years. And I was like, oh, it's a really sweet idea. Really so, interesting. yeah, I had no idea. You know, again, because the prequel trilogy stuff, I just didn't dive into as much back in the day because I just wasn't, I didn't have enough money to like invest in, in, you know, and stuff. And plus the internet, I just didn't have the interest there because I didn't have the money, didn't have the interest. So, but yeah, that's something we got to, you know, see about. And I, I I love the scene with, with Yoda talking about uh, the, you know, there's, there's something going on. There's, there's starting to starting to come up with something. And I love that idea that someone could, could possibly delete a planet and where people wouldn't even think twice because there's so many planets. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting. I like that idea being brought in here. Yeah. I wish like, I like the mystery of it, but I, I still want a story that gives us like a definitive explanation of everything that happened 
with like Agreed. Dooku and yeah. Sifo-Dyas yeah. and like the like and just a timeline of like when did Dooku leave the Jedi Order? When did he start working with Sidious? When did he you know recruit Sifo-Dyas? When did they re- create the clone army? Because that stuff was it's talked about in the Plagueis novel, which is obviously now Legends canon. It's talked about in the Clone Wars that episode. Uh, I think it's called the is it the Lost One? Um. I see I'm blanking on the exact name of it, but it's the beginning of the last Yoda arc. Yeah, the, the, the first, first episode, episode of the Yoda arc from from the Lost Missions where they're kind of trying to track down this cold lead and figure out exactly what happened with sifo and the creation of the clone army. Love and they, that episode. I, I like that episode, but they still, like, I feel like there's still a lot of unanswered yeah. questions. It kind of, yeah, yeah. it kind of even brings up some new questions that I didn't even know I had. You know, they introduced mm-hmm. this other guy, Silman, and they went to this one planet and then they went to this other planet where the bodies were found. And it's like, well, what actually happened? Um, and then kind of the big revelation of that episode is the Jedi finally putting two and two together and realizing that Count Dooku is Darth Tyrannus, which, to be honest, when I saw that episode, I was like, wait, they didn't realize that? Like, obviously, we've known that since this movie came out. So um, <laughs> I was I mean, I, I like the way that episode was done, but I was a little dissatisfied with it just because I still wanted more answers and I still want like a definitive version of what all happened with that story. Because if I'm not mistaken, I don't think it's been said in any like Clone Wars or any canon stuff that Sifo Dyas was the one who deleted, yeah. you know, out of the library. I had to, I was in a book somewhere. I think it was, might've been the visual guys or something where Pablo Hidalgo had to say it. Cause that's what Lucas said to somewhere where it came from this, like it, not in universe explanation where he just kind of had to look for it to find out for sure that he was the one who took Kamina out of the archives. Yeah. Cause even, I mean, when we were talking about it in that scene, I was like, well, it was Dooku obviously. Right. And then I was like, Oh wait, no. Cause it could have been Sifo Dyas. And then I think cause Dooku, left the Jedi Order and then was like working with Palpatine and rec- kind of recruited sifo to help them while sifo still was a Jedi. And so, yeah, he mm. probably would have been the one to delete that from the archives. Um, by the way, Kamino is just such a cool concept for a planet. Like, it's I love the visuals great of concept. it. Yeah, it's same. my favorite planet in Star Wars. I don't think that's ever going to change. <laughs> I just love it so much. The rainy atmosphere, the architecture of the buildings, everything about it's just amazing. I love it so much. Yeah, I don't blame you. I don't know if I have a favorite Star Wars planet, but Kamino is definitely up there on the list. And I have to say, I, I love playing on Kamino in Battlefront, too. It's one of my favorite maps. Yeah, I mean, oh, it's so cool. <laughs> And just even the interior of it, too. Uh, this has a very sci-fi feel, even from the look of the Kaminoans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Again. and it's it's something that people may complain about, thinking like, oh, this isn't the Star Wars that I grew up on, because, you know, you think about Tatooine and stuff, and Star Wars is supposed to feel, you know, gritty and lived in, and this is all too sleek and shiny, but it's like, is it really that much of a stretch to believe that of all the planets in the galaxy, there could be one planet and one race of people that live like this, and that, you know... There are these super tall, slender, elegant people that live in this bright, white, shiny dome kind of interiors I've, on this planet that's all dark and gloomy and rainy on the outside. Like, I just think it's a really cool idea. I never, for being a original trilogy kid and loving and, and having some issues with the prequels when they came out at the time, at least with the first two, I never really had a problem with the Kaminoans. Kaminoans. Um, and I never, I like the idea because, because again, one of the things that George brilliantly did was to give a lot of diversity to different planets. Every planet didn't have to Sorry, be interrupting for visual or visible confusion meme. 
<laughs> there it is. Uh, but but uh but yeah, I, I I've never once I I I always then and, and even more so now appreciate the differences that George really pushed for different planets and different alien creatures. And again, it doesn't it doesn't feel it still has a fantasy element to it, but it's got that sci-fi influence mm. into it. And, and that's why I love it. It's like going to a different kingdom. And, you know, everything's a little different than what your kingdom would look like, except this is science fiction, sci-fi fantasy. So exactly. it's just, it, to me, it fits perfectly. And I, I know what everyone thought that probably at the time, but I have, I have zero issues with this, with the, with the designs and looks of most of these uh, uh, aliens and creatures for the most part. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, even though this isn't the greatest Obi-Wan scene, like props to Ewan McGregor for holding it down when he was just sitting in a blue room by himself oh, talking fantastic. to a tennis yeah. ball. Like, you know, oh, it was amazing. That's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> he Not the best acting job by Obi-Wan here trying to play along, I will say. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. That's the point, though. Exactly. I love it all the same. Yeah, my favorite stuff. And now we get to probably the worst Anakin and Padme scene in the movie. I mean, yeah. oh, you guys well, know how much I love it, but I can't really defend much of what happened in the scene. Well, and here we go. So obviously we're coming up on the infamous sand line. And everybody gives him so much crap about just that one line that I don't like sand. I'm like, why are you freaking complaining about sand? But the dumbest part about this, it's not the sand. It's what comes immediately afterwards where he yeah. says, I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating and it gets everywhere. Not like here. Here everything's soft and smooth and he starts touching her and she's just okay with it. And then he kisses her and she goes along with it. I'm like, he did nothing to earn that. Like that is yeah. not, that's not flirting. That's not a good pickup line. Like, I don't know what that was, but like what made Padme suddenly okay with him, like touching her and kissing her right after that. Like you got to work for it, dude. Yeah. Th this is definitely some of the weakest writing of the saga. A lot of these scenes are not great. I wish that George would have, instead of grabbing the, uh, the Indiana Jones, young Indiana Jones writer that he wrote with, mm. he actually would have grabbed, I don't know, another a, a lady who has a lot of good, maybe yeah. uh, some kind of insight of what might uh, attract a Padme to a younger man, like 10 years younger than her when she's like an established adult. Hey, he's only um, five years younger. It, yeah, it's true. Whatever. But still, regardless, um, I, I was obviously being extreme. I also don't like the cutoff right there. It really bothers me. I was just uh, going to say that was what you mean across the stars. How it. Yeah. It all comes yeah. to a halt when she breaks it off. It's like, oh, yeah, like, a little too on the nose. There. Yeah. But but as I was saying, I, I think he would have been wiser to instead of having another guy write it with her with, with him, getting a, a lady who actually could give him some insight. But, you know, George, he wasn't about romance. You know, so I mean, which is interesting, by the way, because I remember when episode one was coming out, he talked about how the second one's going to be a very romantic film. And I expected that. I expected it to be, they said it was this one, the first one was going to be a little more, fun, a little more fun, a little more like, you know, kid friendly. The second one's going to be a lot different and say it to be romantic. And I kept expecting that. And then I got it. And I was like, that wasn't romantic at all. I'm not saying I wasn't complaining, but it, yeah, it wasn't very, yeah wasn't the romance that he kind of made it sound like and yeah. i don't think he's capable of ever doing that obviously yeah i mean uh, the romance is a big part of it it's just not done well it's very much like connect the dots like here's where they're at and then here's where i need them to be by the end of the movie so i'm just gonna make it happen without kind of 
setting it up believably and taking the steps that you need to to like believe that these characters would actually develop feelings for each other. I mean, obviously, Anakin has like been obsessed with Padme ever since he was a kid, but um, as far as her reciprocating those feelings and it actually leading to something, like it's just very clunky and it just feels like, oh, this needed to happen for the story, so this is what's going to happen. But this is where Attack of the Clones really kicks into high gear for me. I mean, once we're actually seeing the clones, and I just love how uh, Lama Sue is explaining the process, their training, their education. Then you throw in Obi-Wan asks about the bunny, bounty hunter. They say Django Fett. I mean, just hearing the name Fett again was awesome, seeing it for the first time. Then it cultivates into this awesome scene of all of these clones. I mean, going back just from being an original trilogy diehard fan back in the day, loving Stormtrooper armor, seeing the origins of that armor yeah. and these clone troopers, I was just so excited about that going into the movie and it delivered on that front. I just, well, I love it. All the Camino stuff is just so great. Mm -hmm. And I love the buildup even just within that scene visually where like they're walking yes. through the tanks and you see all the infants and then you see the kids, you know, training on the computers and then you see the adult clones, but like, just, you know, in their clothes, sitting down, eating and stuff. And then you see the ones in the armor grabbing the helmets off the assembly lines. And then finally you see the army assembled, you know, marching up into the, the ships and stuff. Um, just, you know, looks so cool. And obviously now having the context of like knowing where they go in the Clone Wars and having all those stories and like feeling just that much of a deeper connection to those clones as like individual characters and seeing this as like the genesis of all that is really cool. I had I have to say really fast, Tim. I, I got to ask you guys, or and tell you kind of my thing with with the clones themselves was that I never thought they were going to be stormtroopers ish. You know, I, I you know I remember that we were going to see the the birth of the, of the Clone Wars, but I never once knew what that meant. And I'm curious if you guys knew that they were going to be like stormtroopers, or what exactly did that mean? Because we didn't know what that meant, and I thought. When, when I saw that they were all stormtroopers, I kind of went, oh, that actually makes a lot more sense now. And it kind of, I don't know, it was kind of brilliant, but I never once expected that. Did you guys expect something like that? Did you thought the stormtroopers were clones or they were influenced by the Clone Wars or you get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I, am I making sense? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, before we get into that, I just want to say real quick, this is the other Anakin Padme sequence I thought was really good. After it gets that all that Palo stuff and Anakin. Yeah, that was bad. Just, yeah, once they start talking politics, I think that's probably the best chemistry that Anakin or Hayden Christensen now the department had mm -hmm. in this movie. I, I think agree to that. It's yeah. really good. And, and just such, hearing Anakin's view on politics, too, was interesting and cool to hear. Yeah, such good foreshadowing for what he's eventually going to become. I mean, you can see how he would totally go along with something like the Empire, but it's done in such like a it's such a kind of fun and casual and lighthearted scene. And yet at the same mm. time, you think about what he's actually saying and go, Oh yeah, this guy's going to turn into Darth Vader. Exactly. But back to the clone war stuff or the clone stuff. Ball, I kind of agree with you on that because not until we really started to find out what episode two was going to be. And just even hearing the title for the first time, attack of the clones. I'm one of the few who like that title, just seeing the word clones in there. It's like, okay, cool. We're really going to dive into the clone wars here. Don't know exactly how yet, but then when I saw the trailer and saw that shot of all the clone troopers just walking on the Camino, I was like, oh, cool. So the clones are actually going to be foreshadowing the stormtroopers. Like, and until we got definitive word that stormtroopers are not clone troopers, I was thinking as this movie was out for the first time, oh, this is clone troopers do become stormtroopers. That's cool. Right. And there was rumors about the 2004 DVDs that. Temuar Morrison's overdubbing all the stormtrooper voices because they're clones and just thinking that. But I 
kind of with you as far as not knowing what to expect with the Clone Wars and how the clones would be involved and then being precursors of Stormtroopers. But man, it was better than I ever expected or could have imagined it to be. So yeah, I kind of agree with you on that. Yeah, and I like them as precursors to Stormtroopers. Like I'm glad that still the Stormtroopers in the original trilogy aren't clones and they didn't try to yeah. retcon yeah. that because clearly in the original... they are. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you also see there's so much variety just in their height and their voices and stuff. Yeah. And like I've, I've had to correct so many people on that over the years who then saw the prequels and were like, Oh, so the Stormtroopers are all clones. I'm like, no, they stopped using clones at a certain point. Um, so I love this scene here between Obi-Wan and Django. It's just such too. a cool, yeah. you know, just dialogue exchange and, uh, you know, kind of adversaries feeling each other out. Like, you know, even though they're being, you know, sort of pleasant and casual in their conversation, like the tension is there. And like, Obi-Wan knows this is the guy he's after. Django knows like this guy's a Jedi and he's going to get in my way. And, uh, you know, it leads to obviously a really cool confrontation later, but I love just kind of this tense dialogue exchange between them. And I have, I have to say that I, that the, it's. I love the fact that Lucas wanted to give the fans Boba Fett and the significance of the character, and what exactly is his tie to the greater saga. Because he's in. And I don't know if that was always the intention, but but George wanted to make him like an established, like make him significant in some mm-hmm. way. What I and it was even though it was jarring at first. I love the idea because when when you're watching the the prequel trilogy, Boba's not that special, but by Return of the Jedi, if you watch it in the greater context of the series. He is special. It's it's significant. He's a remnant yep. of the Clone Wars, mm-hmm. and it's That's really so awesome. fa- I, and that is so genius. Again, yep. in the context of getting it as a kid, you're like, "That's not what I thought he was going to be. That's stupid." It's like he's the Clone War. That doesn't make it makes him not special. And then you kind of think about it, like the clones are all pretty much wiped out at that point. So, actually, it is special. It's very significant. So. I really I love the fact that Boba Fett is a clone and an unaltered clone, and he is. Uh, it's it, it's just really interesting to see that later in the in the in the original trilogy in the later episodes in the canon anyway, this character, this remnant of the Clone Wars, is the one like wreaking havoc and also in Jabba's palace. It's like again mm. that Clone Wars connection is really cool. I love mm-hmm. that I'm, idea. I'm glad you brought that up, Paul, because I was gonna. I pretty much echo everything you just said there. As far as the, and I've said this on other podcasts too about how I'm all for learning more about Boba Fett's history, even as a fan of the character pre prequels and like their just mm-hmm. the original trilogy days. This character is so cool. I want to know more about him. And man, Luke is again exceeding my expectations of his backstory. And probably I didn't realize it like you said then as a just watching the movie there, I thought it was always a cool concept. Oh, he's a, a clone trooper. Clone troopers are cool after seeing this movie, and Boba Fett's part of that. But man, especially after watching the Clone Wars and how the clones specifically have become, you know, probably my second favorite aspect of the entire Star Wars saga. This everything they've go through and the, their story, and then to have Boba Fett be, you know, the last legacy of the Clone Wars and clone troopers that we've come to know and love throughout the series. It's just amazing. Like you said, Paul, you said it perfectly. The importance that he has is just great. And I couldn't agree with more of that. So the fact that Lucas decided to do that by introducing Boba Fett here as a young kid, I am forever thankful for that because I agree. It's genius. I haven't seen these scenes. I I can count on my hand how many times I've seen these scenes. (laughs) I want to say, and I'm not kidding you. I have usually will skip all these scenes for the most part. And I don't remember the last time I watched this 
or, or, it, or it's been a while. I did it for Star Wars with Friends commentary a long time ago with John and Justin, but I think that's the last time. And I think I can count on my hand a total of five or six times of one hand. I think it's five times I've watched these scenes all the way through. And I think like this is like number five or six, one or the other. Yeah, this is, you know, is probably not as bad as the sand scene with Padme on the balcony on Naboo there, but this one, it's weird because yeah, it is very awkward <laughs> between both of them. But at the same time, I know that's kind of what Lucas is going for. But still, it is one that, you know, there are some cringy moments. <laughs> yeah, you can't help but have when watching this. But and this is for me when watching Attack of the Clones. And, you know, for me, why I love it so much is that, yeah, I can recognize these type of scenes that are not great or kind of awkward. But you know what? That's doesn't make up the bulk of the movie for me. It's basically just these two scenes with Anakin and Padme. This one and the one we just talked about on the balcony there that, you know, I could admit that are really bad, but it doesn't take away from the overall enjoyment of the movie and just the overall story that's involved with it. Just how important it is to the saga for me. I mean, I could live with these two scenes out of the rest of the movie that I feel is just really, really strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like, I mean, aside from just those two scenes, like their material in general isn't great, but it doesn't kill the movie for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even in this scene, like the acting and the dialogue, yeah, definitely could be better, but at the same time, it's such kind of a tense exchange and so sort of pivotal to their relationship. And it's almost tragic because like this is them and especially Padme realizing the truth well even anakin too because right here he says you know no you're right i couldn't live like that like it would destroy us and then they end up going ahead with it anyways but like this is the point when they had that moment of clarity and realized like this isn't gonna work and like they were right they should have just left it at that um of course if they had we would have no darth vader and no star wars but um you know again even for it not being the best execution in terms of like the performances and whatnot, just like the material of that scene is really important. So I, I don't know. I kind of have mixed feelings on it. Like I like it, but also recognize the flaws with it. Agreed. You know, kudos to, to George Lucas for giving the fans Boba Fett and, or a version of, of kind of maybe not exactly what we thought, but pretty much the same thing since he's a clone. But uh, you know, that's again, that's kind of one thing missing a little bit, I think, in the sequel trilogy is George did get he, he did what he wanted, but he also tried to give the fans what they wanted too. And I think he learned a little bit from episode one that he can't just do 100% everything he wants to do and not care what we think. He had to kind of give in a little bit. And I think yeah. that there was good and bad with doing that. I think sacrificing Jar Jar Binks, obviously, he had he was supposed to be in that movie a lot more. That being said, I think that. Uh, doing things like adding Boba Fett was not a bad thing. And I think that kind of did help bring people into the theater and, and give a little bit of more well wishes. It, def- it definitely helped me get more excited for the movie because of seeing Jango Fett. Yeah, I was yeah. about to say, what made it really work is Jango Fett too, because yeah, mm-hmm. maybe some could have been disappointed that Boba is just a little kid, but you're seeing a, another guy in cool Mandalorian armor and it's his father. <laughs> this worked really well where you still got that cool aspect of Boba Fett that you're hoping to see. In the prequel, because there was, I remember always hearing speculation, rumors, whatever you, all call, whatever you want to call it, but Mandalorians were going to play a part in the prequel trilogy and the Clone Wars. It was different than what we expected, but they still played a part, even though I guess Jango Fett's not a Mandalorian, but Mandalorian armor, I guess, was going to play a part in the Clone Wars. And we got it here. It was, you know, again, not what we expected, but I, I think it worked really well. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, again, regardless of your feelings about Kid Boba, 
and you know seeing him in the movie i don't think anyone would disagree that Django fett is a really cool character yeah and you can't really have Django without boba i mean you could but then like how are they going to explain like you know if, if there was no kid boba in this movie like how do you get from Django fett to boba fett you know um mm. you could say that they're cousins or something i guess but um yeah i never had a problem with it again being around that age when this movie came out anyway i thought it was kind of cool especially when he gets to you know take the ship controls and you know shoot at obi-wan and stuff um but obviously i mean jango fett is the the more prominent character in this movie and i think he gets to do some awesome stuff and heck gets to do stuff that like we wanted to see Boba Fett do in the original trilogy. Like let's be real, but Jango Fett gets more of a spotlight than Boba Fett ever did. That's why I give the slight edge to Jango Fett over Boba Fett for being a better character. In my opinion, at least one who out of, if I had to pick a favorite out of the two, I'd go Jango Fett. Yeah. I mean, I think Boba Fett's more iconic, but as far as role within the actual story and like, and you know, kind of screen time and, and action and stuff that they get to do within the movie. I think you're right. I think Django's kind of got an edge there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he does because he actually has a significant role in the movie, whereas Boba Fett really is just a he's just a very, very much a side character. Yeah. And it's too bad, too, because, you know, Tim, you were making some great points talking about Django being like the last relic of the Clone Wars kind of and being kind of a reminder of that era. And as I was listening to you talk about that, it just made me even more disappointed with kind of the way that he goes out in Return that of was the me, Jedi. And Kyle, hmm? <laughs> that was me, not Tim. Yeah. I, I followed oh, up on it, but I, I thought, well, okay, fine. What you were saying, I just, I don't, no, I, I'm just saying, because I always, I'm always the one mixing you guys up. You mix me and him up for once. Well, <laughs> I remember Tim po- talking about it too. You were talk- probably brought it up before him though. Um, my bad, my but, bad, my bad. Yeah, oh, we're out. <laughs> probably one of my favorite moments in the movie i remember being so excited about this scene scene in the trailers like you were saying kyle boba seeing Django fed do stuff we wanted to see boba yep. fed do in the original yep. trilogy in that armor yeah. i will say i remember i, I don't know if you guys me, lucas cut something out of the trailer with obi-wan dodging more <laughs> of Django's blaster that i always hmm. wish was left in there i had the uh the toy of slave one after this movie came out with the action figure of Django fed with like the magnetic detachable head Oh, okay. <laughs> I had that too. <laughs> it's just such a cool different fight. Again, going back to something that we haven't seen in the Star Wars movie yet. Just a Jedi and a bounty hunter in fisticuffs. Like, not a lightsaber. We got a little bit of a lightsaber block deflecting blasters, but then they just go at it and start punching blows out of each other. I mm-hmm. love that. <laughs> Ow. Bam. Kick in the head. Hurt, so cool. Yeah. That's going to be. That's, yeah. And then Jango Fett gives it right back to him headbutt so mm-hmm. cool <laughs> Man, that's awesome yeah and the whole fight you know obi-wan trying to get his lightsaber back and yeah Django, you know oh nope I mean, he pulls out that. all the tricks that the mandalorian suit can have well, and, flamethrower right here but in what in, in star wars rebels it's it's basically a, all the things that Django has are basically specifically to combat a jedi so yeah. it makes yeah. sense right. And the canon that he can hold his own against an Obi-Wan because his armor is basically not just a commando armor to fight like armies, but it's designed to take on Jedi, which is, mm-hmm. you know, seeing that in Rebels was really, really cool. Great episode of Rebels, by the way. But like, it's cool to see that in context of this as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you even see that, too, in I mean, I know they don't mention it right on the nose like that, but in uh, Shades of Reason in the Clone Wars with Darth Maul versus Pre Vizsla. Um, yeah, you know exactly. Yeah, yeah, and, you know exactly. You know, same thing, just pulling out all the tricks on that armor, 
Um, I mean, Ugh. man, I still think that's my favorite lightsaber duel in Clone Wars. No. It's one of my favorite in Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm just it's saying everybody gives so much attention to the, the Maul versus uh, Sidious fight. But that's great. But Maul no, versus Pre Vizsla yeah. is my favorite yeah, one. Yeah, that's the best. I think that, that to me, I'm with you. I think that's the best. Man, I know I said this already, but I just love the environment of Camino and just mm-hmm. the rain, the atmosphere. I just remember being so excited about seeing an active sequence in full blown rain with a lightsaber in the rain. This is the first time we've actually seen that. We've seen it a lot of times before in Clone Wars and Rebels and stuff, but this is some new territory as far as Star Wars environments goes and just still looks amazing to this day for me. Mm-hmm. And man, I just, I love the design of Slave 1. I love the sound it makes and the, the sound of the cannons and everything. Um, if I haven't talked about it enough already, I love playing that ship on Battlefront and just blowing people up with the size of charges, you, but... You dominate in that ship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but man, it's just such a cool ship and a cool design and everything. And back on Tatooine, and again, kind of like what I said at episode one where I was talking about how, oh, Tatooine's making an appearance again in the prequels. I wasn't expecting that. I kind of felt the same with episode two, with Tatooine being in episode two, because I thought, okay, we were there in episode one. Uh, so we're, we met Anakin. He's off the planet now. We probably won't go back there until episode three. And I was surprised when we were going back here again. I go, oh, that's interesting. Until, of course, you know, it all made sense when we saw the movie and the reasons why Anakin's going back there. But at first, when I heard it was going to be in it, I was a little surprised that we'll be visiting Tatooine again. Yeah, it was a surprise for me, too. But, I mean, I this is maybe some of my favorite parts in the movie or the Tatooine yeah, parts. I've I always agree. loved, I love, always love Tatooine, but the, for some, whatever reason, I have no idea because it's a desert planet, but it's got so many things I love about it. So, yeah. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's just so sort of tied with so many important moments in the saga, even though like the, the planet itself might not be all that interesting. Um, I mean, I think kind of the fact that it isn't all that interesting, but it's where like the most important characters in this saga come from and, you know, get their start and everything yep. um, and is I, what kind of just adds to the uh, the interestingness of it, I guess. Yeah. And I'm glad we got to see Anakin meet Watto again and Watto got to see Anakin become a Jedi and just, you know, kind of even though he wasn't, you know, he was his master, so it wasn't, you know, the best relationship Anakin had was Watto, but this kind of Watto scene, you know, Anakin did become a Jedi and fulfill his dream there. I thought it was in typical Watto fashion, wanted to use it to his advantage here, <laughs> wanted to get some money back. But I'm just glad that Watto did get to see Anakin and got to realize his potential. And it makes me think too, as he was talking about how Klee Lars, you know, freed her pretty much. And I would have, Imagine that cost some credits. And I wonder what Shmi did with the credits Anakin gave her at the end of the, or before he left or went through what the pod raised. What does that mean to a slave? Could they actually buy the freedom with that? Or I wonder how much that was, if that played into it all. Yeah, I don't some know. Some random little thought that came into my head. <laughs> as I, was thinking I thought Watto earned all that money. I don't think she earned anything. No, but Anakin, remember he goes... When he, they go back into their house, he goes, Mom, look at all the money we got. That's right. That's oh, right. yeah, because they – so I think Watto – because of the deal that Qui-Gon made, like Watto got the rest of the winnings, but then uh, Anakin then sold his pod, and so he gave his mom all the money from that. That's right. Oh, uh, okay. And this sequence is amazing. This is one of 
my favorite space battles. It's so, again, going back to that uniqueness of it, we're so used to big space battles with a bunch of ships dogfighting each other. This one is just one ship versus another ship, and mm-hmm. I love it amongst a great environment with the asteroid field. So cool. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even necessarily consider this like a space battle. I don't put this in the yeah. same category yeah. as, you know, the Battle of Endor and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But just a I guess really, space sequence. <laughs> yeah, just a really cool, like, chase scene, essentially. Um, but well, then, the of course, commentary... here's, here's, like, the coolest sound effect in Star Wars, aside from maybe the oh, lightsaber yes. right here. This I remember blew everybody away in the theater. <laughs> it was like an awe moment when that yeah. happened. Visually, too, I just love to look at the seismic charges. Yeah, gosh, I love blowing people up with these in Battlefront. <laughs> you I was going to say, the commentary that Lucas does for the DVD, he was saying, like, he just mentions, and now it's time for the obligatory space battle or space sequence in a Star Wars movie, but wanted to make it different and something we haven't seen before. And kind of what we're talking about with the Jango Fett Obi-Wan fight, where we're seeing you know Mandalorian armor do what we were all excited and hoping to see it do, it goes to the same for Slave 1 in this sequence right here. It you know, pulls all the punches out. It's laser fire, torpedoes, seismic chargers. It was just awesome to see as a fan for the first time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Silence yeah, as we just watch know, and enjoy I'm this part. really into it right now. <laughs> Sorry. What do you guys think of the design of the uh, these original Jedi starfighters? Do you like these ones or the uh, the ones in Episode Three better? I like. I'm like I'm sorry, go, ahead. go ahead, Paul. Well, I was gonna say uh, if I I like this one more, but I like both of them. I think they're both cool looking. Yeah, I was gonna say I like this one probably a little more, or <laughs> I should say a lot more, <laughs> not just a little more, because there's just something about. Lucas wanted to make the ones in episode three look more of a TIE fighter. Yeah. I, know, I, I didn't think it meshed the best, to be honest. I like this one was kind of its own unique style. I, that's kind of why I like it better. Yeah. By the I way, was... that sequence of the slave one just, you know, ambushing Obi-Wan ship with that laser fire sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and with great. a great sound system hooked up. It's fantastic. Also, oh, yeah. Geonosis, uh, this whole sequence in Star Tours is amazing as well. Oh, yes. yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, actually, I guess I would have to disagree with you guys on that because I like I love the episode three Jedi Starfighters. No, well, I like um, them too. But, I, but I yeah. like th- I like this one too for sure. And actually, my favorite Jedi Starfighter design is Anakin's modified version of this one that's in the Clone Wars micro series. Um, oh yeah, I same. love oh. that shit. Mm-hmm. And I still I wish they had used that in uh, the you know the three D Clone Wars series, but. Um, you know, I love seeing that thing anywhere I can get it. I got the Lego set of that that they came out with a few years ago, and I was, like, so surprised. I was like, man, nobody's done anything with the Clone Wars micro series in years, and here they just, like, randomly dropped the Lego set of it. I've never bought anything so fast in my life. I like how, too, Obi- we see Obi-Wan ship hiding against the asteroids. I think that plays into Boba Fett tracking down Han, Leia, and Chewie in the Falcon, where, you know, they think they got Obi-Wan, but later they realize he survived. And I just like to think, you know, Boba Fett being the trained smart bounty hunter that he eventually becomes. And remember this, you know, and probably putting two and two together as far as how did Obi-Wan survive this and hide long enough. He put himself against the that asteroid field right there. And then when the situation comes with Han and the Falcon, you probably think, you know, they could be doing a similar trick. 
hiding out on a Star Destroyer, just waiting for the right time to move and get away from the Empire. I, I think that ties into what made him think to hang on a little bit at just uh, starting his search, but he hung out to where he was on the Star Destroyer, thinking that there could be a chance the Falcons playing the same trick that Obi-Wan played on his father. Mm-hmm. And now we'll have the many transitions between Genosis and Tatooine that become very, very, very confusing at times. Yep. <laughs> yep. There's one in particular that I remember watching this as a kid and I could never yep. remember. Like it cuts the yep. scene and I was mm. like, uh, you know, I could never tell what planet it was until they uh, showed whatever characters in it. Yep. Really? Same I here. never had that issue. Always have the issue. Oh, yeah. I think I'll, I'll point it out when it comes up because yeah. it's once Anakin goes off looking for his mom. And so, like, it's kind of like nighttime on Tatooine and nighttime on Geonosis. And I'm like, wait, okay. which planet is this right now? And it was so good to see the Lars Homestead again. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about iconic, you know, locations at Star Wars and just seeing this again. It was so cool. Knowing that, because at this time, we never knew. Anakin was in the same spot that Luke was. And the fact that he was there, I think it's just so cool that you can make that connection now. Yeah, definitely. So funny that 3PO used to work on that, on the same homestead and then Lars doesn't remember him at all. Yeah. I mean, that's I was true. To... You know what? For some reason, I don't think I've ever made that connection before <laughs> that. That's the second time he's owned that droid. Yeah. I'd never just... realized that. Here comes the most awkward, maybe one of the most awkward lines by a great actor. I'm Lars. This is my girlfriend. It's like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, it's so weird to hear this is my girlfriend in Star Wars. You know, it's like, why can't you just be married to her now? Yeah. It's, it's funny you know, that it's just weird. It, it's funny that uh, in this movie you have uh, Joel Edgerton as uh, Owen Lars and then also Rose Byrne, who is like one of Padme's handmaidens, you know, both yeah. actors who've gone on to do like a whole lot more stuff and are like pretty well known now in Hollywood. And it's, you know, you go back and watch, it's like, Oh yeah, I forgot they were in this movie. Well, and, and people talk about having a, uh, Obi-Wan film. Can you imagine having a Joel Edgerton and Obi-Wan in a Ewan McGregor movie together? Yeah. Like how think about the acting like prowess between them that they could just muster up and just be awesome. I Especially mean, if, the, if it has moments like we got in the early star Wars comics, oh, or I shouldn't say early, comic- but, the early yeah. issues where it went to Obi-Wan's journal where they oh, so good. Owen really choose into Obi-Wan. It's <laughs> so good. There there could be some really cool stuff in there. Yeah. I gotta say too, I do like that Owen and Baru are pretty much Luke's aunt and uncle because they could have just made that up to protect Luke, but the fact that, you know, Owen is Anakin's stepbrother, he really is Luke's uncle. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm, yeah. And remember, there was before the, the prequels, it was always kind of assumed that Obi Wan's brother was Owen. I don't know if you guys ever heard that. Oh, yeah. It was hmm. from the uh, Return of the Jedi um, That's uh, right. novelization. I gave him to my brother. Uh, yeah, but no. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's from the novelization. Yeah, I don't I think remember, I've ever heard that before. Well, I remember when I was a kid. See, when I was a kid, before you were born, Kyle, uh, <laughs> uh, there was a, something called the Essential Guide to Characters that came out in the mid '90s, and it was. I, uh, I was born before the mid '90s. I okay, '93, '94. Yeah, I was born in '91. Thank you very much. Okay, good. Okay, good. This it came out like a year after you were born. Um. Anyway, so, uh, but yeah, your the, math was, is suspect. It really is. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it came out, I want to say 93, 94. And it's a really cool book. And it, that's where I 
first heard about it, a lot of my knowledge from Star Wars came from those books, actually. And it was like a basically like a, the Wikipedia of that, yeah. uh, from that from that time frame for like, you know, for all the EU stuff. And it's actually really cool if you want a, a kind of a glimpse of what the early EU was like when it first started out. Like that's kind of how I learned about stuff. And and that was one of the main things. Also, there was they did a, a lot of cool Boba Fett stuff in there, like what a, a lot of the writers were trying to do. But yeah, an Obi-Wan section, it talked about, it pretty much said it, it was canon at that point that Owen Lars was Obi-Wan's brother. Hmm. By the way, love hearing the Duel of the Fates here in oh, this, this scene. Yeah. Um, even though it's weird because everybody kind of associates that with like being Darth Maul's theme. But for some reason, just like the scenery here as Anakin takes off and the sun's going down. And it's right here. By the way, the yeah, this is the cut that I'm like, is, <laughs> oh, oh, this is him going to the Tusken Raiders, right? Oh, no, this yeah, is Geonosis. No, no, yeah, um, it gets me all the time. See, I, I get time. it now because now like I recognize those kind of those weird shaped rock spires that are all over geonosis and because i just remember being fooled by that so often as a kid i'm like oh yeah i remember that shot but you know yeah when i was younger i got that confused all the time i was like oh wait we're back on geonosis when i don't watch it enough and this is probably my least watched star wars movie of i'd say of all time Maybe maybe no. I've probably seen Last Jedi more. You know, at least on the on the rate I'm seeing Last Jedi, I've watched it a lot more than this initially. Um, but yeah, this is one of my least watched Star Wars movies, so that's why I always forget the transitions. I'm like, for the most part, like if I haven't seen it within a couple times a year, it's not. But if I, if I give it a good couple years, I'll forget. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot it's Obi Wan. It's going back real quick to Duel of the Fates. I just. Love even from the get-go. I remember Lucas saying, you know, he didn't want a piece of music just for episode one. He kind of wanted to make the theme of the prequels, like so to speak, where he wanted something he can use again for important moments throughout episodes one and two. And yeah. I think he felt the perfect spots to use them. I mean, once we get to episode three, we heard again, I'm sure we'll mention it, but that was the perfect spot. Mm -hmm. It's such a big moment for Anakin, too, in this, what we just saw here in episode two. We might not think it's the... Best spot to use it, we're just seeing Anakin riding on a speeder, but it goes well and just know how important it is for his character and what's about to happen. That it's beautifully it it leads into the title, Duel of the Fates, without the duel aspect, but leading into fate and what's in store for Anakin. It's really kind of poetic and fitting in a way. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that Count Dooku doesn't show up until so late in this movie. Yeah. He's like the main villain. But I mean, I think it works because they they mention him at the beginning of the movie. They know that he's leading this separatist movement, but as far as they know, it's just a movement of planets that want to secede from the Republic. They don't realize that the separatists are in league with, you know, the trade Federation and building their own army of battle droids and that they're preparing for war. And so this is kind of the first realization that all that stuff is tied together and that Dooku isn't just, you know, sort of a, a political um, dissenter, but that he is, you know, going to become sort of their main enemy in this uh, conflict that's coming up. And this is one of the sequences that I got spoiled on <laughs> for episode two, knowing that, you know, we we're going to a Tuscan Raider camp. I think that was kind of known. I forget exactly how much that was in the marketing or revealed, but the fact, you know, that the Tuscan Raiders kidnapped me and this is how she died kind of got spoiled on that pretty early on and knew this was a sequence that was coming, but one I was eagerly anticipating too, to see how it all plays out in the theater once we got to that point. And it is cool to seeing the life of the sand people 
not you know to quote Anakin <laughs> later, not just the men, but the women and children too. To see what, <laughs> oh man, they look like and you know just their that was way cool. Of living. And those little dog things they had yeah. too. Mm-hmm. This part was a bummer, man. And I I really like the idea of using his mom to help turn to kind of start the turn of the yeah. dark side. Yeah, that was that was a really good emotional uh, thing to, to to do with with Anakin, and to kind of you know do something really insane like destroy this whole tribe of, of sand people that you could kind of see why not, not say you agree you would say that yes go ahead and murder all these people Anakin but you could understand how upset he would be and how mindless they are it kind of there is that weird gray but mostly black area but you can also understand where he comes from of how enraged he'd be but but yeah, like it's it's pretty it's pretty insane what he does right here, and the fact that Padme just is like okay, no big deal. That's uh, pretty insane. And yeah. this goes into what I think is the brilliance of the story that George Lucas created for the downfall of Anakin. I mean, it starts uh, like I said, it's a big moment for Anakin losing his mother here, and he kills all the Sand People. But that goes even further, and I love how Lucas pays it off in Episode Three with him losing Padme, and that you know is the tipping scale for turning him into Darth Vader, and kind of does what he does here in episode two, but just on a grander scale as he's pure evil. Now it just mm-hmm. makes total sense when you look at it as a complete saga. I just think it's brilliant what Lucas did with Anakin and his downfall here. Yeah. And really, I still see this as kind of the catalyst for everything that follows. Yep. Like, yeah, and I know there's so much more to it. He's already, you know, entangled with his feelings for Padme and Palpatine is already trying to manipulate him and stuff. But I don't think he would have ever marched into the Jedi temple and murdered all those kids if he mm-hmm. hadn't already murdered all these Tusken Raiders in yes. a, a fit of rage after losing his mother. And I don't think he would have done all the stuff he did in episode three if he had never lost his mother. Um, yep. You know, I mean, By that was way. that was his original, you know, emotional connection. And that was kind of the reason that the Jedi were hesitant to take him on in the first place is because even though he was only nine years old, like he was older than most kids that they would take in and had a very strong connection to his mom and the Jedi don't want that emotional attachment. And I mean, we see why right here. Um, and I'm not saying it's good for them to stifle that emotion, but you can kind of understand where they're coming from when you see Anakin have that emotional attachment and then lose something that he's attached to and lash out like that. It's like you can kind of understand where the Jedi are coming from, but at the same time, if Anakin had been able to express those emotions and deal with them and not just, you know, be told by the Jedi to suppress them, but he has to deal with them anyways. And so he lashes out in, you know, in ways that he, you know, he hasn't been taught how to, how to handle his emotions in a healthy way. Right. And so, um, his, his things that lead to the dark side are just kind of a natural, uh, progression of that. And so if the Jedi, you know, had been sort of more receptive or more open and more willing to, deal with that i think you know things obviously could have gone a lot differently and him, having him know that about the jedi who does he tell this experience to other than padme palpatine mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. that just all goes into it to, to playing how he develops and falls into the dark side it's so great i was gonna say too i gotta give props to hate in that sequence too and as much as everyone likes to get on him about how he delivers dialogue he kills it with his facial expressions and showing his yeah. emotion there, man. Mm-hmm. It was really great. Yeah, he well, certainly all- has his moments. And I think in this movie, and especially in episode three, he really nails the dark side stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say, too, with the scene with Yoda and he hear Qui-Gon say, Anakin, I really thought that the, that 
Lucas was going to set up Qui-Gon showing up in episode three or even episode two and somewhere. Well, that was the plan. <laughs> that was the plan. I'm not sure. You know, I know he kind of changed his mind, but it was no, he, he didn't change his mind. It was Liam Neeson had a motorcycle accident that's and, and right. wasn't able that's to come right. in and do yeah. it. Yeah. The scene at the end of episode three where Yoda's meditating by himself on Polis Massa, like as uh like before Padme's giving birth, he was originally going to be talking to Qui- to a force ghost of Qui-Gon in that scene. Okay, that's right. Okay. Well, I think just his voice, not the force ghost. Uh, from what I read, I thought he was supposed to actually appear. I could be wrong. And I um, mean, we know now in the story, I mean, they've explained that like because Qui-Gon's training wasn't yeah. complete, he wasn't able to actually manifest himself. But that could just be an explanation for why they weren't able to actually show him in episode three. You know, like that might have been the original plan. And then it's like, oh, well, he's not actually there. So let's maybe just say that Yoda was listening to his voice and we'll make up some explanation for why Qui-Gon can't appear as a force ghost. I like the look Anakin gives right there, kind of looking at them like you guys couldn't go after her. (laughs) Like I had I found her and look what happened. Like maybe if you guys would have went back out, this could have been avoided. (laughs) I really like this scene here, too. I mean, you know. I think Hayden does a good job here. It might come off as a little whiny in some parts, but again, he just lost his mother and he doesn't get a chance to express himself too much being a Jedi. And he's just kind of letting all his feelings out here for the first time and just showing raw emotion here. And uh, I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I will say, I mean, I don't want to make excuses for, you know, poor acting or poor execution of ideas or whatever, but there is some you know, some credence, I guess, to the idea that maybe at least a little bit of their performance and some of the stuff that you could criticize and say isn't as good, like it fits the character. You know, again, the fact that this Mm -hmm. is a 19 year old guy who has been taught all his life to, you know, suppress his emotions and to, um, you know, just not have passion and emotional connection and stuff but he has it it's part of him he can't deny it and so he's struggling to just find out by himself how to deal with these things that everyone else around him seems to be able to perfectly just kind of gloss over like yeah it's gonna be awkward and it's gonna be stunted and he's gonna you know just whine and yell and have outbursts and um you know i I think like, I don't know exactly what people were expecting, but, um, yeah, he's going to be a little awkward and whiny and, and unsure of himself. I always like the line where he says, someday I'll be the most powerful Jedi ever. I mean, that always brought a smile to my face. I think he might have said that in one of the trailers. I just loved hearing that, <laughs> knowing that he becomes Darth Vader. And he's, you know, kind of showing the dark side a little bit here, just kind of almost in a way bragging about how he killed the women and the children here and saying how much he hates them. But I think he's fully believing that right now. But then right here afterward, he's kind of steps back a little bit. And I'm really glad Lucas added this scene to the DVD, or I should say yes. extended it where Padme tells him to be angry as a human. But the key line is Anakin saying, I'm a Jedi. I'm better than this. This realizing, you know, he's not supposed to be this way. And I'm, Should have been I'm, in the movie. Exactly. Wait, wait, not, wait, this wasn't in the theatrical yeah, version? This was not in the, I remember that. Nope. Oh, wow. When I, when I saw this in the DVD, because I, I have a decent memory with this stuff, and I remember I'd only see the movie twice oh. in the theater. One of the only Star Wars films I only saw a few times, uh, live action. I never saw the Clone Wars 
animated movie in the theater, but that's a whole different, that's not, I don't think that counts, but anyway, um, <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, as I was saying, I, I remember being, wait, that scene wasn't in the movie. It cuts right, you know, it cuts right out mm. after, he, uh, he gets mad and, you know, and everything, uh, basically, but that added scene, I think it would have showed a little bit better, more of a, uh, a connection between the two characters, to be honest. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I thought that was kind of a that was a bummer. Yeah, I can understand why some people have an issue with it, like the fact that Padme is seemingly okay with that. Um, but at the same time, I I do like, especially the way it shows with Anakin's character, where he, like he starts crying at the very end of that before it cuts away. Like he's again, he's dealing with all this anger and emotion, and like I think part of him is satisfied that he got that revenge and that he killed all the sand people. And then there's the part of him that knows like I'm a Jedi I should be better than this. And like, Oh my gosh, like what have I done? Like, you know, I just mm-hmm. murdered a bunch yeah. of people. And, you know, so seeing that inner conflict and seeing, um, you know, Padme trying to help him through that, which again, yeah, on the one hand, she maybe should have, you know, there should have been red flags going off everywhere. Like if you're kind of interested in someone romantically, but you're not like, fully in a relationship yet and then you find out they murdered a bunch of people you should turn tail and run the other way but at the same time and maybe this is where you know it could have been different if the if the romantic relationship was built differently and if you know we could fully get behind it as an audience and you could understand her really caring for him you know if somebody that you're in love with or that you really care about is going through something like that um you know, I'm sure there's at least part of you that's going to feel sympathy for them and be like, well, how can I help you through this instead of just exactly. you know, cutting you off? So that's the way I always like to look at look at it and took it when like, I started hearing that criticism. It's like, yeah, you know, I could buy into the argument that maybe, you know, since they haven't known each other and been with each other that very long, that would be kind of hard for her to feel that way already. But at the same time, you never know how these things turn out. You could develop those feelings kind of quicker and if she really does care for him she would want to be there for him and you know his moment of crisis too so mm-hmm. i agree with that i remember this upcoming shot of mace windu in the hologram or mm-hmm. or in or yeah i think it's coming up here in a second it was what well, that was part of the uh release yeah this image right here was one of the released uh uh images from the website if i'm not mistaken tim yeah, this I think one right, right here. Too. Yeah, this one came out from the like the, the weekly production, whatever. I, I remember thinking, oh, Miss Bidu is going to be in this movie more. He's in a hologram. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, and also Lucas had been bragging like, yeah. See Mace Windu, he's gonna have a great fight scene. I mean, he'd go to the MTV Movie Awards and he'd go next year. He's gonna be nominated. <laughs> I remember thinking like, well, that's really cool. And and I wish I I wish that I would have known then about George Lucas as I know now. Like you can't really take him at face value completely. Well, hey, I mean Mace does get some cool stuff to do at the end of this yeah, movie, but it's not even remotely to like um, like amazing. It's cool, but it's not amazing or yeah, anything. Yeah, amazing might have been strong. Yeah. He didn't, to be fair, he didn't say it would. It was amazing, but he tried to brag that it was going to be nominated for like a MTV Movie Award, which hmm. didn't happen. <laughs> still that to me means it's going to be amazing but yeah yeah you know what's weird there's so much stuff in this movie that is like reminding me of things from clone wars and it's i mean it sounds weird to say that because obviously this came first but even you know just the scenes with like the jedi sitting in palpatine's office and talking about things that you know foreshadow 
the coming conflict and just talking about kind of the state of the Republic and what the Jedi are going to do about it and stuff. Like, I, I don't know. I like seeing that kind of stuff. Oh, totally. This is another big scene and moment for Palpatine. I love how he knows exactly what he's doing here. Mm -hmm. What senator here would have the courage to make such a radical <laughs> motion? And he knows exactly who he's talking or thinking about right there. Jar Jar Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, Palpatine, such a genius. I remember watching a uh, or reading an early review of the uh, Attack of the Clones and, the, and then someone saying, we find out what Jar Jar's whole role in this movie is or uh, saga is. So this is interesting that they're right. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. And here is a great, fantastic character. May you rest in peace. Car uh, the actor Christopher Lee, a.k.a. Count Dooku. And I love this scene, too. I think this is. I just love the dialogue and back and forth they have. Oh. You get mentions of Qui-Gon, Dooku being his apprentice. And I just love the fact that, you know, as a Star Wars fan, I was going into it, you know, knowing, you know, he's a Sith Lord. You, we see him with a lightsaber and they have a lightsaber battle at the end. But Dooku's saying all these things to the contrary. And as I'm watching it for the first time, I go, man, where's Lucas going with this? Like, what really is Dooku's role? And I just love how he's trying to fool Obi-Wan here, making him believe that he's not a Sith to join him in mean, that line where he says at the end, together we can destroy the Sith. I believe him when he says that, you know how Sith operate. They're always looking for an apprentice to take on, to overthrow their master and, you know, keep the line moving. So I think that was Dooku's intention here to get Obi-Wan on his side, or at least plant some seeds of doubt with the, with the order. And everything he says here is true. He's, he doesn't lie to Obi-Wan here at all. <laughs> it's, it's just fascinating. I know this, part kind of caused some confusion maybe with some general audience members as far as you know where allegiances lie and i think that was very intentional that lucas did it he didn't want to make you know put all the cards on the table here as far as everybody's roles but it goes perfect with what duke is trying to do here with obi-wan i just think it's great yeah and of course you know he straight up tells obi-wan that the republic is under the control of the sith yeah um, and it makes you wonder is this just him being arrogant and knowing that the Jedi aren't going to figure it out? Or if Obi-Wan had been like, oh, wait, so the Sith Lord is Palpatine? Like, is Dooku trying to... I mean, obviously, if Dooku wanted him to know that, he could have just told him. But, like, is he maybe trying to give him a little bit of information to work off of to bring mm -hmm. Obi-Wan to his side and then thinking they can overthrow him together or, you know, something like that? I think it's probably more just the at least, you know, us knowing where the story goes, I think it's probably more just Dooku's arrogance, um, well-placed arrogance, because he's right, knowing that the Jedi aren't going to catch on to this. You know, I and think again, it's kind of... If he wanted gonna... to just spell it out for him, he could have just told him, like, hey, join me, Palpatine's the Sith Lord, let's take him out. Um, but, and, uh, you know, I'm sure he is trying to plant some of those seeds of doubt in Obi-Wan. I mean, he makes some good points about Qui-Gon, you know, knowing about the corruption in the Senate and stuff like that. And yep. I think he certainly, you know, is kind of making a pass at Obi-Wan to try to get him to join him. But I think he also is just kind of dangling a thread in front of him that he knows he's not going to pick up on. As I far as Palpatine like, being the Sith Lord. Almost like a, you know, can't lose scenario for Dooku. He could try to get in the process, say all that stuff to create more doubt and, you know, suspicion amongst the Jedi, but yet at the same time, try to get Obi-Wan on his side too, while he's at it. You know, he could, like I said, not reveal all say Palpatine is Darth Sidious, but just say enough to create that confusion of doubt amongst the Jedi to fall further 
from grace but at the same time he can try to get obi-wan on his side too just to make that offer so dooku mm-hmm. pretty much had nothing to lose there <laughs> yeah all to gain. and we start to see the first bit of you know decay of the republic lose <laughs> its grip to palpatine and uh, Palpatine also, must be so happy here. <laughs> also, one of the great memes when people do uh, when whenever prequels out out, out vote something, and they, they always use the "I love democracy." <laughs> yeah, and, and I also use it for anything political. Uh, if something like like a Fourth of July or something, I put "I love democracy." I mean, it's 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 beautiful. It's a great great meme, great line, and delivered beautifully by. By uh, Ian McDermott. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, and this also in this movie, it really is interesting that he had to emphasize there were a lack of there are enough Jedi to keep you know to protect you. We're keepers of the peace, not soldiers. And he says here, let, let me take what remaining Jedi, Jedi we have left. It's like, man, what's going on? Like, how are their numbers dwindling before the Clone Wars? Yeah, exactly. yeah, that's a good point. It's I mean, weird I, too. Oh, go ahead. I was going to jump to a different point, but um... really, really quickly to wrap up. I, I just, I, there, I don't know if Lucas had to do that in, in hindsight or, and if it is, I, I would like to know why exactly that is. There's got to be some significant reason. If are, are they leaving the order? Was was the lost twenty right before the Phantom Menace or right at right after the Phantom Menace? Like what? What exactly did it happen? Well, he could also be talking about just available Jedi because I'm sure that's true. I'm sure yeah, they yeah. didn't just recall every Jedi that was out on missions throughout the galaxy. He's like, hey, let me just round up everybody that's available and we'll go see what's going on on Geonosis. Yeah, um, I think that's the way you got to look at it because, man, the Jedi would be really cut thin if that's all they had was what we see on Geonosis. Yeah. Um, but also, oh, I was going to talk about just the fact that. Um, you already see how deep Palpatine's power runs in the Senate and how kind of blind and corrupt everybody is to the fact that, you know, Jar Jar gives him emergency power. He says, okay, you know, I'm, you've given me this emergency power. I don't take this lightly. I love democracy. I love the Republic, whatever. Uh, you know, there's this growing threat of the separatists. We think a war is inevitable. So I'm going to use this emergency power and create a grand army of the Republic. And everybody's like, yay, that sounds like a great idea. And then bam, they come out of nowhere. Like, and clearly, like, this was already in the works. And, you know, they can't tell that they're being manipulated by Palpatine, that, like, he created this army, kept it hidden from everyone, and then, you know, basically just flipped the switch and was like, all right, here they are, as soon as everybody approved of it. But it's like, you know, that should have sent up some red flags, like, hey, this guy's been working on (laughs) this in secret for years when we hadn't approved it yet and hadn't given him these emergency powers. Yeah, totally. And this scene, I think we all know, was added pretty late in production when mm-hmm. in some reshoots where Lucas felt things needed to pick up a little quicker. And I always hear some mixed reactions about the whole factory sequence. I like it for the most part. It's not the greatest Star Wars action sequence. And I don't know, probably could have done without the 3PO antics. It's, yeah, you know, 3PO is a little bit much, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think... I mean, yeah, the whole thing probably could have been a little shorter. I mean, I like Anakin fighting the Geonosians there. You know, lightsaber action is always great. But as far as them, you know, doing all this ducking and dodging and, you know, going through the assembly line and everything. um, I mean, I I never really had a problem with it. I can see now how like, yeah, it's it's 
just extra like it's it's unnecessary it's just added cg bells and whistles but um i don't know i don't i don't have a problem with it really I remember the sequence right here with Padme. There's some behind the scene footage where, you know, she's trying to prepare to do this and she just stops and just like goes to Lucas. Are you serious about this? Like, <laughs> am I really going to be doing all this? But again, it's some, a different type of action sequence for Star Wars. So I always give props for that and we always talk about wanting to see different stuff in these movies. So some action and a lightsaber battle in a factory. I do like some of three PO's kind of like quippy lines here and stuff. Um, I mean, him flying around on the on the platform and you know freaking out and stuff. Yeah, it can be a bit much. Like this part right here. Yeah. And it's funny. I know I've heard in interviews like how much Anthony Daniels hated doing this. Oh <laughs> yeah, but Anthony Daniels is kind of a is kind of a nothing like oh he doesn't seem like I have met him in person. I have a weird story about it. And three bills are my favorite characters in Star Wars ever. So the fact that Anthony Daniels is kind of a weirdo and kind of cranky, it makes it a kind of a little bit of a bummer. But it doesn't surprise me. He's like, I hated doing this. Ugh. It's like, yeah, whatever. Maybe so. that's why Lucas did it. Have a little fun with the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the yeah, worst like, scenario possible. Yeah. I'm going to annoy you, Anthony, because <laughs> I hate your guts. <laughs> then we had R2 with the rocket packs. And I remember that was a big debate amongst fans. Yeah, why? true. Why didn't he have this in the original trilogy? Oh, this is another one of those things where Lucas is changing for the heck of it. But at the same time, is it really that big of a deal that <laughs> Luke that Arthur uses rockets and then we don't see him use it in a new hope? There could have been a reason why, if you want to put something in your head cannon to why he can't use his rockets abilities anymore. He some could have been damaged. We don't know, but Yeah, and heck, is there any situation in the original trilogy where like that was absolutely necessary? The only one that comes to mind right now, maybe when they fell out of the sail barge, he could have got out right away. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But I mean, they would have had to come back for 3PO anyways. Yeah. And it all worked out okay. You know, it's not like R2 died because he didn't use his yeah. rocket. So that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think there's any scenario where I can imagine, like in the original trilogy, where it's like, oh, that's so stupid that R2 didn't just use his rocket right here because, you know, they always get out of it anyways. Yeah, exactly. I always found it weird that you know, we're talking about in Phantom Menace about the soundtracks and there was a lot of overused uh, tracks in the Attack of the Clone score. And I think especially here in the whole Battle of Geonosis where I always found it odd they decided to play Yoda's theme when Anakin was moving all the, you know, mechanical stuff, flinging them to Geonosians. Like, why is Yoda's theme being played here when Yoda's not involved with this at all? Hmm. Probably because he's using the Force. But yeah, that is a theme. bit of a stretch. <laughs> Although, speaking of music, we're getting close to the end of Attack of the Clones, and we haven't really talked at all yet about Across the Stars and yeah. what a beautiful piece of music that is. And even though, yeah, the, the Attack of the Clones soundtrack as a whole isn't one of my favorite ones, that track in particular is definitely one of my favorite Star Wars themes. It's Agreed. funny. I never I never connect, connected to it as much as everyone else did. I know a lot of people love that piece of music. It's not my favorite. Yeah, I love Across the Stars and also Django's Escape, where the, the theme that plays when him and Obi-Wan are fighting, it's great too. Those are pretty much my two standouts from the Attack of the Clone soundtrack. Yeah. I do like some of the stuff from the uh, the Geonosis Arena battle too. Um, or the, uh, I guess, like the big clone battle. 
But um, yeah, I mean, Attack of the Clones or uh, Across the Stars, I mean, is definitely the standout. And the first time the iconic lightsaber gets busted. Mm-hmm. Which, I, again, I'm sure we'll get into this more throughout the course of our commentaries, but probably especially in The Force Awakens, but the history that that lightsaber has and what it's been through, which is so cool. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Well, and that's not, when you say the iconic lightsaber gets busted, that one is different. Well, is it? Because I always assume, you know, Anakin kind of kept that part, kind yeah, of repaired just it. just like Obi-Wan, yeah. No, no, no. His, his lightsaber for Attack of the Clones, it actually looks closer to Vader's lightsaber hilt. Mm, yeah, it's not the same design as the uh, as the one he has in Episode Three. So uh, that one gets chopped in half, and he has to build a new one, and that's when he gets the one that he has in uh, Revenge of the Sith, which then is the one that Luke gets and all that. Yeah. Well, it's still seen a lot through the Clone Wars <laughs> and everything there. So. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. All this, all this death and things around me of giant bugs and getting chopped in a video game like sequence just makes me fall in love immediately with the next person I see and you happen to be here right now. Does that, does that work? Does that work? I think that's a good motivation right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Not the strongest declaration of the forbidden love. I yeah. admit. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, again, when you think about it, like it kind of makes sense. Like if you're attracted to somebody and you like them, but you think that a relationship would be a bad idea, but you're going to your certain death anyways, like why not? But again, just the execution of it, like it definitely could have been done better. could have been written better. Um, but at least the music is good. Yeah. I mean, it could have yeah. done without her going. I truly. Yeah. yeah. If I, <laughs> if, I if, love you. If, <laughs> maybe if, 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 if she was older, Nellie Portman was older, had a little more clout. She could have said, no, George, or refuse to say truly deeply. I say, I love you. And that's it. Yeah. You know? Well, and like that's what I'm saying. The, I, the idea, the, the idea of the scene, like the main theme that they're trying to get across that, you know, in this moment of desperation, they're finally giving into their passion for each other. I'm okay with that. But again, just the way that it's all said and acted and everything just could have been so much better. Now we get into some really fun sequences. And I just love Obi Wan. <laughs> yeah, he's great. Yeah, that good job line. Is so I think the thing. CGI still holds up too. What do you guys think? I think this looks good. Oh, I think so too. Especially once the clones show up, man. I'm still amazed of how great they look. Yeah, I'm still surprised by the fact that there are no physical clone troopers in this yep. movie, like or in Episode Three. And it's almost a little disappointing. It's like, wait, you had tamara morrison like obviously they have physical faces like he never got to wear a suit of clone trooper armor like yeah, that's a little I, disappointing to me but yeah i just feel bad for him yeah exactly yeah, yeah. but they um, made it they just never used it yeah but i mean it still looks like it it looks great like i i never would have guessed that if i hadn't seen it you know online or whatever i mean obviously you can tell with all the clone troopers that are you know dying in battle and stuff you know they're not all actors in costumes but um, the fact that even when Obi-Wan's like talking to Commander Cody, that like that's not even him in yeah. actual clone armor. I'm like, wait, what? I love all these creatures too. The Reek, the Akle, and the Nexu. This great the kid, monster the design. The Kitty is the is my least favorite. And I, I always forget which one is which. This is the Reek, right? That's no, the, which the Reek's the rhino one. Yeah, the that's Reek is the rhino that's one. Right. The Akle is the spider looking yeah, thing. Ackley, that's right. Ackley's yeah, the and thing. then the Nexu is the the kitty the six-eyed cat rat thing yeah i don't i don't like the nixu 
Yeah, I don't love it. It, it I would agree it's probably my least favorite one. Uh, the other, the other ones are great. Yeah, the Reek and the Ackley are both pretty cool. Yeah, the, they look like Star Wars to me. Yeah, I remember but... fighting Ackleys on Felucia in the original Star Wars Battlefront 2, and those yeah, were pretty terrifying. Felucia? Huh? Did they originate from Felucia? I don't know if there's like a canon explanation for where they actually come from. I just know they're on Felucia in that game. And they're like in the story campaign where you're playing like the 501st. There's a mission where you have to fight a bunch of Ackleys. Yeah. I just love how they just kind of come out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. just fighting them. I also love how the throwback this is to like old school movies that George Lucas used to yeah. watch. like These monsters and stuff like that. Like how cool is that? Yeah, just, you know, taking some historical inspiration too from you know the Roman Colosseums and you know the games they had there, putting the Star Wars twist on it. Oh yeah, totally. I don't understand that part at all. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> I slapped her in the back of the makes her and shirt it perfectly go, ripped off the midsection of her shirt just so <laughs> we just so we could have you know a slave Leia costume for a new generation. I mean, all I will say is that 11-year-old me certainly didn't complain. No, no, I, I didn't complain. <laughs> I knew it was, this is ridiculous. Yeah, at least it, it, she didn't kill it that way. I mean, if it died from that, then yeah. <laughs> but it gets up and just kind of walks around for a little bit. I mean, I don't know. It's just, yeah. Padme is just not my favorite character. I do like, though, once we get back to Anakin, how, you know, I think showing more of his chosen one abilities, using the force to calm down the Reek. Yeah. I know mm -hmm. there's other Jedis that can do that, but just seeing it, seeing him doing it, seeing it in a movie, I, I think that. it's really cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I have always loved Obi-Wan flinging I've that guy with the spear. I've always loved that part. That's <laughs> uh, such a cool force power for Jedi to have, to be able to calm animals. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, well, obviously we see, you know, Ezra... Yeah, you're right. I mean, that is kind of a, a moment of, um, you know, you see Anakin's more sort of disciplined Jedi side right there, because most of the time, even though we know he's very powerful in the force, he's usually using it to, you know, destroy enemies and he's doing flips with his lightsaber and all that kind of stuff. But to see him, you know, just take that moment to be kind of centered and concentrated and just subdue it. Oh, that's so old. Not school. not through violence or anything, but just you know, taking to to calm it and take control of it with his mind is really cool. And the poor next he's gone. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not really that big of a deal. I Gosh, hate this part. Th yeah, Other that would hurt so yeah. bad. Oh yeah, it's like come on. <laughs> maybe he used the force to lessen the you know. Reek, or maybe there. maybe uh, reeks have really soft back skin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like jumping onto pillows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That. Oh gosh. Like. Especially as a guy, you know that would hurt so bad. But <laughs> I'm sure with anyone, man. Or yeah, exactly. Especially <laughs> from that high up, like no, thank you. Oh man, I just love how this whole ending sequence—it just really gets better and better as it goes along. It starts yeah. off with a monster battle between just three heroes, and then we just get an amazing display of 
And I was it, just going to say clones and Jedi, but first it's Jedi, then the clones come. Like I said, this mm-hmm. gets better and better as it moves along. Yeah, and I love yeah. just the, the Jedi arena battle even before the clones show up. Yeah. Some yeah. really cool stuff. I love to – I don't – did you guys ever read the novel uh, Shatterpoint? No, I wanted to though. Oh, no. it's so good, and it opens up with Mace. Well, Windu. Kyle's read a book that we haven't, Paul. Oh my <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, I was all about the Clone Wars books that came out in between episodes two and three. Like those were some of the first Star Wars books I read, and that's what really got me into the EU. Um, but the the novel Shatterpoint is all about Mace Windu, and it starts off, you know, in the middle of the Clone Wars, and they really get into just the death and destruction and like how many Jedi have died in the war. And it really haunts Mace Windu. And he keeps having flashbacks to this moment. And he was, it talks about like, he was kind of weighing in his mind. Would he, did he want to go after Jango Fett or did he want to go after Dooku? And he knew that Jango was such a skilled warrior. He's like, well, if I just like, like I could sneak up behind Dooku and just kill him, but Jango would shoot me down before I could turn on him. And he kind of wishes though, that that's what he had done, like in the middle of the clone wars and with Mm. all the Jedi that have died and stuff, he's like kind of remorseful about it and like wishing he had just taken out Dooku right then and there and kind of cut the head off this thing before it all started. Yeah. I, if I wish, I wish there wasn't an, there was an unabridged version of that because there's only a bridge version and and it's like, like four or five hours long. And I would love to read the whole book, but I just, I struggle reading novels very fast. So Hmm. yeah, I want to read it eventually. I've heard it's good. Yeah, it is good. I mean, the way things are looking now with episode nine, this is probably going to be the only saga movie where we're seeing a bunch of Jedi in action. Yeah. Well, Saga movie. I, I yeah, still saga movie. I, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. we're gonna I think we're gonna get an old school Jedi movie as Oh, totally. Time. I just yeah, Please. talking about episodes one through nine, this will be the only one where we're really seeing but the it Jedi makes in sense, action. Though. Mm-hmm. But totally, again, yeah. But in, in, in think about it this way, it'll be interesting once we actually get Jedi films that are like, you know, not or maybe like maybe let's say a thousand years before the original trill or the, the saga films. It'll it'll put the saga the saga tri- the uh, Skywalker saga in a really unique place. You know what totally. I mean? Cause we'll yeah. see like, Oh, this is like a period of time when the Jedi went down and, and what happened? It's, it's, it's going to be interesting. I will say that once we get those in context, Jedi films. Mm-hmm. So Jango Fett has so many cool shots in the sequence. <laughs> love the blasted twirl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That blaster tool at the end of that is so cool. I love Dooku's face as he just like kind of smiles at Jango. And I've seen a meme of that where, <laughs> Uh, oh, don't go, Jango. <laughs> where he jumps, where he, the Jedi jumps up there and uh, Jango shoots him, and then Dooku looks at him and goes, Was that a freaking dinosaur? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Stupid this freak. was the scene that George Lucas said was going to win Base Windu, <laughs> a oh. MTV Movie Award Best Action Scene. Are you Dude, kidding there's me? There's stuff cut from here. There's stuff on the Blu ray deleted scenes where he's cut a lot of their fight. Hmm. Little I stuff, know, but, but it, it would have been cool. I do appreciate the favorite Django de- Fett shot right here. Yeah, I appreciate Love the little that. details here where you see the sparks coming out of Django's jetpack. Yes. And then that he tries to sense. fire off the jetpack. Like you see flames come out of the back of it, but it doesn't work. Like it doesn't yeah. lift off because it's been damaged by the reek. And that's why Mace is able to cut his head off. And that was that, added later, though. Yeah, I was going to say that was another thing that was added. Oh, OK. I think I think that's added in for the Blu-ray only. That wasn't even the DVD, right? See that I don't remember. I want to say it was for the DVD, but you could be right. I think I don't think it was for the DVD. I think this was. I remember watching the Blu-ray, going, "Oh, wait a minute, that's new." I like the guy in the background there that's using the two lightsabers. Yes, I, I missed that. I gotta say, 
not every shot where you see Jedi in the background <laughs> looks great. Where some of them are just moving really slow. Oh <laughs> yeah, you can tell some of them are just extras and not, uh, yeah. you know, definitely not trained fighters. Well, I see it now. Especially just doing amongst blue screen and fighting nothing. <laughs> you can really tell that they're kind of not comfortable. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I do like that line. That, no, I call it I aggressive negotiations. Yeah. Awesome, yeah. I love how the accolades kind of like Obi-Wan's nemesis in this whole I sequence. Yeah, and he's like, <laughs> he's like, really, Did you he again? Know? But now he's got a lightsaber and he's just like, get out of no. here. I feel bad for it. Oh, I kind of do too, but kind of had it coming <laughs> he kept yeah going after i don't one. feel bad for it you're heartless kyle <laughs> <laughs> uh, here comes one of the worst jokes in all this yeah. life. <laughs> oh this is you know such what? a drag i still laugh i still laugh but it's bad yeah you know <laughs> what there when this movie came out me and my buddy Omar, who we used to work there at Toys R Us, we were in this phase where we just kept saying these horrible puns and jokes, like just for the heck of it. And once we heard that line, that was like right up our alley. <laughs> he just started cracking up. Fair enough. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> I've always loved that shot where the super okay, battle droid is shooting, obliterates the one that's in its way. If they're shooting at Padme and the Jedi, how come she doesn't die? Because she doesn't have anything to protect herself with. She's got plot armor. <laughs> I'm sure Anakin tried to stay by her side for most of the time. Yeah, party. Mace was out in front of her in that shot. And there's that whole deleted sequence of Kiati Monday and Plo Koon going to the droid control ship, which mm -hmm. I, I always wanted to see done completely. I know we got on the Blu-ray, like just the blue screen, like unfinished version of it, just to see them more in action, especially Plo Koon, because we never got to see him in lightsaber action in the saga films. We saw him in Clone Wars, of course, but... Mm -hmm. cool yeah heck see. i would have loved to see i i think that would have been cooler than uh the, you know if george wanted to add in some extra action scenes like do that instead of the droid factory true and ayla sakura there too who is a character that lucas took from the eu just because she looked really cool and wanted mm -hmm. to put her in the movie Yeah, I love just the design of all the different Jedi characters and all the different lightsaber hilts and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Here they come. And Attack come of the, the clones. clones. Here it is. <laughs> Did you guys see the Homer Simpson Easter egg in the shot coming up? You know, no. I've I, I've heard of it. I don't know that I've ever right there, actually. In the gunship. See, I still didn't see it. I was looking because it, it's supposed to be a, a, like him flying the gunship, yeah, right? Uh, yeah, but I was looking at that looked like a clone pilot to me. Maybe I was looking at the wrong cockpit because there's like two cockpits on those gunships. You know, I, I don't think it ever got confirmed if it is Homer, but I could definitely see how it could. I always kind of took it when I, so I heard that. So I could see it, but. Oh man, these clone troopers are so yeah, cool. And man, I love into battle. I just loved it. I also I love the, the design of the, of the gunships guns. too. The guns yes. are like basically a last minute thing that they just threw a gun upside down. <laughs> and then and they got to prove that he was like, uh. <laughs> Here we uh, go. The first Battle of the Clone War is a kickoff. Mm -hmm. It's so cool. I'm glad Lucas put this scene in here with Boba holding up the hand, the helmet of Jango Fett. Yeah. I remember reading a rumor that we're going to see him put the helmet on and grab his jetpack and fly off. And I was actually expecting to see that in the movie, <laughs> but 
that was probably better. He just had that one shot of him grieving over his father's helmet. Yeah, I think that was enough. Which I'm still kind of upset Boba Fett used it to try to kill Mace Windu and blow it up. I wish he would have held on yeah. to it. Does Kino Mundy have a green lightsaber and then a blue lightsaber he later? He did in one shot, yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh, I, I didn't notice that. that. That bothers me. Continuity, Lucas. <laughs> on a re-release. <laughs> yeah. This stuff oh. we're talking about with Camino and how cool that looked. I love the environment of Geonosis, too, man. So yeah. unique and just perfect for a full-scale battle that we're going to see here. Yeah, definitely. I did not notice the Death Star when I saw it for the first time. Oh, you know what? Corner. I don't think I noticed that either until you just pointed it out. Really? <laughs> I mean, obviously, what? I, I what noticed I later when, like, Poggle hands him the Death Star plans. But, yeah, the fact yeah, that they just had I it. Chill. The I, well, see, yeah, I see I, I, it right yeah, there. I, I see it yeah, right Yeah, I see it right there in the background. But uh, just that first shot where it's off in the corner, I didn't notice that before. Man, it's such a cool sequence to see the gunships. And I mean, right now they're landing, but when we see them on full blown attack firing their missiles, it's so cool. But then seeing it again in landing point rain in the Clone Wars and almost looking just as good as this, this is remarkable that we got two awesome battles on Geonosis. This is what yeah, we're definitely. missing right now in the sequel trilogy is an epic battle like this, man. This is Star Wars. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Yeah, this really puts the wars in Star Wars. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, I'm I'm really hopeful that we'll get that in Episode Nine. Um, I don't think we're going to, to be quite honest, but that's just me. Eh, I'm I'm still hopeful. We still know so yeah, little about. I'm kind of optimistic that for the last movie, kind of has to end on a high note with a hopefully a big epic climactic battle. And, yeah, like, Man, I mean maybe probably not this big in scale. But there's got to be, I mean, we still haven't really had like a big battle between the First Order and the Resistance. Like, it's well, always like just five people in the Resistance. That's the problem. Well, yeah, exactly. And so that's what I'm saying. Like, we got to finally have like just one big confrontation. But man, just I love the designs of everything in here, especially on the Republic side. Like, I love the the everything from the clone armor to the Republic gunships to the ATTE walkers. Um, it's just all so cool. And I love seeing all this stuff you know, just in action going at it. Yeah, it's geeking out so much when I saw this in theater for the first time. Like I said, seeing the precursor for the Stormtroopers in action like we've never seen before in a Star Wars movie. And even though, obviously, we knew they were clones by watching the movie, I just thought it was just really cool hearing Temu Moore, uh, Morrison's voice coming out of the clones after we just saw him as Jango Fett. You know, it just sounded almost cooler than a Jango Fett voice is hearing it as clone troopers. It just sounds so cool. Just everything about it, I love so much. Mm -hmm. Like you said, their armor is great, but boy, would not, I didn't think it could get any cooler. But it did in Episode Three, which I'll geek out plenty once we get to that movie. I'll never <laughs> forget yeah. watching Attack of the Clones for the first time and having the uh, the Death Star be part of this, and thinking back to the la um, the Kevin J. Anderson, the Jedi Academy trilogy. And the original creatures that did worked on the the Death Star, I remember thinking, is that them? Is is this them? And I did research and I found out it wasn't. And I was like, ah, that's stupid. Because <laughs> I wanted to be caught, I wanted there to be continuity so yeah. bad between the books and back in those I, days, yeah. <laughs> back in those days, I remember thinking, like, is that same as as the, the the Jedi Academy trilogy? And I was like, oh, it's not. I, I man, just noticed, was not well, expecting the Death Star being it at all. Yeah, I no, me too. Really surprised, but thinking, oh, that's cool. Lucas is planting that seed early on. You can hear in episode two. Yeah, 
And I love how, you know, it's just all part of Palpatine's grand yep. scheme. It's like the Geonosians that first it, it's the Geonosians that first come up with it for the separatists. But then the Republic ends up winning the war and becomes the Empire. And then it's the Empire building it. And to think of, you know, Krennic and Tarkin and all these guys, you know, all these Imperial guys working on the Death Star and, you know, the, just the time and effort that it took them to to yeah. complete and to, you know, trace it all back to here and think that it was, you know, the Geonosians and the separatists that originally had the idea for it. Mm-hmm. Which is also a great book, by the way. The name's escaping me. Catalyst? What's the name of that? Yeah, uh, that's a great, great yeah. book. Oh, the Rogue One Catalyst? Yeah. I actually, you know what? I started that one and I never finished it, which it's, I It's not should. an action-packed, yeah. but it's it, it has lots of Geonosis yep. Death Star stuff in it, and it's hmm. great. I love how they were like involved into it to the very end, really. Yeah, yeah. And Poggle really. the lesser. <laughs> he was in yeah. there too. Great oh, stuff coming... Poggle, yeah. Oh, I love oh, his my shot. My favorite shot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah his shot's fantastic. Might be my favorite of the movie. Just that, that one right there with all the clones firing and just annihilating the droids. Yeah, um, so cool. And I love the way they recreated that in Battlefront. I know I keep bringing up Battlefront, yeah. <laughs> but there's so much cool stuff in here with like Camino and Geonosis and stuff yeah, that they were able so to good. recreate from the game and make you feel like you're you know, playing in these locations that are just so cool. Some of these reshoots with, with, uh, uh, Ewan McGregor are so noticeable or brutal. Not as much as the Phantom Menace, but <laughs> to me, that's but, the biggest one. Where you really? Know, I think, I think Phantom Menace is a little more, a little better than, than Attack of the Clones, but that's just me. I, I, it bothers me a little more in this movie for some reason, a little more noticeable for me. Oh, <laughs> Have you guys seen the uh, the prequel meme where it's, you know, Anakin's like, no, Padme, put the ship down. And Obi-Wan's like, Anakin, remember what I taught you? And he's like, oh, yeah, right. And he leans out of the ship and goes, it's over, Padme. We have the high ground. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that one. <laughs> but this is another exchange I thought was done well here by both of them. This is Obi-Wan just really <laughs> yelling at Anakin and just Anakin letting his emotions get the better of him, of him again, but Obi-Wan's there to kind of calm him back down. Force theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, the force theme goes great with it, too. And again, Yoda feels a disturbance and it works really well, like he's out with the force theme playing and preparing for what's to come next. I just remember just thinking it was so cool seeing these precursor to stormtroopers for the first time talking with Yoda and Jedi just blew me away. I just love it so much. And that's why part of the reason I love this clone wars era and clone troopers where, you know, they're part of the good guys working with the Jedi when at this time, all we were used to were stormtroopers representing the empire being the bad guys, but here they were for the Republic. And, you know, of course we all know what happens, but at this point in time, they were the good guys. Yeah. In this really cool armor. So I love it so much. And this lightsaber battle, I don't know about you guys. I don't hate it, but it's definitely one of the weaker ones out of the oh, course for of sure. the entire saga. Yeah. Well, it's because it's because Count Dooku has to be superior and you have to have a reason for Yoda to come in and save the day. Yeah. That's true. I will say there's some stuff. I in, love that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, you know, just Obi-Wan deflecting the lightning. But then when Anakin comes in and is fighting Dooku again, there's actually some shots in that fight that I do really like. But still, I mean, as a whole, I would say this is probably one of my least favorite lightsaber duels just because, I mean, it's it's certainly not bad, um, no. but it's definitely, like, it's not as memorable as, like, the Darth Maul fight. It's not as emotionally 
charged as like Obi-Wan versus Anakin or like the Luke and Vader fights from the original trilogy. Um, it's just kind of, and you know, it's their first confrontation. Like I, I would even say I like the duel between Anakin and Dooku in Revenge of the Sith better than this one. Yeah, um, totally. But yeah, like you said, it's kind of just this, it's, it's just establishing Dooku's dominance as a villain and then, you know, setting the stage for Yoda to come in and get to, you know, kind of show off Yoda's lightsaber skills. The worst running ever. Oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'd always like to that. Even when I first saw it on the trailer, they showed Anakin get struck by Dooku's lightning right away. I just no. put it back to return of the Jedi where he's looking at Luke and he goes, I know how that feels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've always felt that was part of the motivation for him to act, but this a little bit. I've always did like this though with Hayden and Dooku. I've always liked this part. Yeah. I just wish Lucas had him duel with two lightsabers a little longer because it looks so cool in the trailer. Exactly. Yeah, it it looks so cool. (laughs) And And there it goes. (laughs) But this was the green one and not the blue one. So this is still cool. I love that he does that. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so cool. I know, but there are a lot of criticisms like it takes forever for them to get going. They wait too long. Why are they oh, you know, just standing it. there? I love, I yeah, like and this. again, just these shots where it's dark and you just see the red and blue light flashing off their faces. I think that's... Mm. Uh, yeah, it's great yeah, visual. It's, yeah. I do feel a little bit when Anakin's arm gets chopped off, it does feel a little staged. It's where you can so tell. corny. Yeah, yeah. Where he, just, he does a strike, Dooku blocks it, and then he just holds his arm there. Mm-hmm. I do wish eh. that was done a little better, but nitpick. Yeah, no nitpicking at this point. Everyone, and I knew what oh, was man. coming here, yeah. and I was ready to go. I was like, I'm yeah. ready. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, I don't know if, I don't remember if it was in the trailers and stuff, but. No, it wasn't. They did a great job of not showing this at all in the early marketing. Oh, okay. See, I remember, see, I feel like I remember seeing this, at least in, like, TV spots, but maybe it later was. At, on. Later it, on. Later on. Yeah, it was probably yeah, after, after the movie after already came out. out. Yeah. But, boys, that's, see, I was spoiled on this, dude. I knew Yoda was going to have a fight, but. In the theater, I, of course, I can't say if everyone knew, but as soon as he started walking, like you said, Paul, there was that feeling in the air, like you knew what was coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we're going to see Yoda. Right. Yeah, and I'll again, never forget people... seeing this in the theater. It felt like I was at a football game. Like once Yoda yeah. pulls out the lightsaber and they start fighting, like people were chanting like, Yoda, Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this That's is such amazing. a great way to start it off, too. Instead of a lightsaber battle, it's a display of force power, and Yoda just owns Dooku. <laughs> I mm-hmm. love it. Well, and, and he, the thing is, is that Lucas did a great job of, of doing Yoda versus Dooku. And I know people still cr- try to criticize it now with a lightsaber. But no, I thought it, yeah. he did an amazing job because yeah. it could have been really bad really fast. And yeah. he did the exact opposite where people say it was really cheesy to attack the clones. But I hear nothing about Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Yoda. It definitely nothing. Got I've improved. never heard but this is still awesome, though. Yeah, it's so mm-hmm. great. But the reason why it's so ridiculous is because it's, it's the first time you see it, and you yeah. think it's so comical. Yeah. But by the well, second it time, is. I, I would say it's a little more over the top compared to Revenge of the Sith because you hear Yoda, you know, he does his little screech thing and he charges into battle and he's oh, just flipping God. all over the place. Now, I'm not saying I have a problem with it, but I will say in Revenge of the Sith, it's a it's more emotionally charged with, you know, him I'm versus free. Palpatine. Um, but I think, yeah, you're right too. Like just seeing it for the first time, everybody was like, wait, whoa, what? I mean, and this, I mean, this is 
I remember just as a Star Wars fan thinking, seeing this for the first time, this is as good as it gets. We're seeing a character we know and loved for years for, uh, being Star Wars fan, and we're just seeing him use a lightsaber and show why he's a Jedi Master. It's just amazing. <laughs> like I said, there was such a buzz in the air after this movie was over. A lot of it was from the sequence. Almost mm-hmm. a little similar to the Rogue One ending with Darth Vader, but in this case, it was Yoda seeing yeah, him that's a good like point. never before. And again, it's him holding that big pillar with the force to show another display of his force abilities. I've heard one criticism about it. How come he's having so much struggle and trouble with that? And when we see him in Empire Strikes Back, lift the X-Wing, and looks to be so calm. But he was in the heat of a big battle here. He like, had to abruptly stop and quickly mm-hmm. stop that pillar from falling. On yeah, he wasn't just lifting it from nothing. Yeah. Like He had to stop its momentum when it was already falling. Yeah, such a great finale to a Star Wars movie. It's up there as one of my favorites. So, so many cool stuff. Yeah. Yoda hey, you know, just uses the Force to pick up his cane there, but also love just how he took his lightsaber out with the Force, too. <laughs> you know, so a little bit of cockiness. Maybe a little bit of, you know, arrogance that he was talking about himself with the Jedi kind of on display right there is it's hard to see because they're in the background but was Padme kissing Anakin right there I was, I, didn't, I don't remember yeah I just, I just thought she just hugged him but. yeah it looked like she hugged him but I mean they're either way like you would think that would raise some suspicions with Obi-Wan and Yoda being <laughs> right there yeah but they just figured you know after everything that just went down, maybe not the first thing that <laughs> was on their mind or they noticed right away. Another cool look at Coruscant, too, which mm-hmm. is that, you know, sunset is that red sky. It just makes it look so cool. Yeah, I love just the visuals here of getting to see yet another distinctly different part of the planet. It's a small little moment, but I think just the more great dialogue between Palpatine and Dooku here. And this is where Lucas wanted to confirm, yeah, that Dooku is definitely a Sith Lord. <laughs> this is where his allegiance lie. And with this Palpatine saying, you know, everything is going according to plan. And this is, especially when you look back at it now, that we got the full story with Clone Wars and the Revenge of, and Revenge of the Sith. This is, you know, just makes it that much more better. And just how the, ma- the great puppet master that Palpatine was. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he just masterfully plays both sides here. Yeah, yeah so good. And again, the Jedi showing that, you know, it's just showing how clouded they are with the dark side, not believing what Dooku is saying. But Yoda's thinking as a Sith, all he has is lies and deceit. That's his ways now. Yeah, it's right in front of them and they can't see it. Yeah. And it's weird because even though like, yeah, Yoda's saying like, oh, maybe we just can't trust him because, you know, he's a Sith and he's lying to us. But then Mace Windu is like, well, okay, but maybe we should at least keep a closer eye on the Senate. But, you know, to think that through all this and all the discussions that the Jedi Council must have had about finding the Sith Master and stuff like I wonder, did it ever cross anybody's mind that it could be Palpatine 
or I see, I think it's probably like in their own hubris and their own pride, they were like, well, it can't be Palpatine because we would know. Like yeah. if we let a Sith Lord ascend there, to being the Chancellor of the Republic, like there's no way that could happen without us knowing. And so they probably just a, dismissed it. There is a canon reason why that they don't just assume that something's wrong with the Chancellor because the dark side is clouding everything, but it's because of where the che- the temple is on. That's right. It's on that That's Sith right. shrine. Right. And, it, and it's been documented in the canon that that actually did inf- help influence and corrupt the Jedi and cover a lot of those things that they should have seen coming, that they, they were blinded because of that corruption from the dark side shrine that was be- it's buried underneath the Jedi temple. So that is an actual canon reason now the why that it, they overlooked the chancellor is is because of that reason. Right. And I, I get that too, but still like, even when they're not in the temple, you think of all the thousands of Jedi, like it never crossed anyone's mind that it could have possibly been Palpatine. And that's what I'm saying. Like, even if it did cross somebody's mind, they were probably just like, nah, it can't be him. Like, well, we, what we can they do seen that? Right. Well, what could they do? Because they're they're not part of the council. So what are they going to do? Go to the council? The council is kind of probably a high importance. You got to have a meeting. It's a bureaucracy at that point. So even if they're out off of, you know, let's say you're a Jedi, Jedi Joe Smith on planet Dantooine, hanging out, doing farming, just doing your thing. You're like, man, that chancellor, he sure hasn't given up his emergency powers. Like he can, it, what if he's like a dark sider or something like that? And I should probably, you know, what is he going to do? Contact the council himself? Like, hey, it's Jedi Joe Smith. Remember me? <laughs> I mean, like, they're pumping out Jedi like the like the Dickens, you know, basically. So I, I just think that they a lot of Jedi assume the council has things in control. And really, they're being uh, mixed up and, and led astray by Palpatine slash the Sith Shrine buried underneath the Jedi Temple. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a lot of different things like that. But... There's, but I see your point too. I mean, you're not wrong necessarily either, but I think there that's, and I can believe that reasoning myself to yeah. be honest. I'm just saying like, I know there's that whole Sith shrine and everything, but that's, I know that was an idea that George came up with for the Clone Wars. And now I'm assuming it's maybe been mentioned in some comics or something that you guys have read that I haven't, um, from what you're it's talking only in a book, about. Tarkin. But, it's in Tarkin. oh, okay. So I'm just saying like, I don't want the that to be my entire reasoning for it. Like it kind of has to make sense within the movie too. But again, I mean, the Jedi have already talked about the, the dark side clouding their vision and yeah. Um, you know, the fact that they've become arrogant and stuff. And so I think even without the, there being a Sith shrine under the Jedi temple, it's like, you can still see how their pride and their arrogance would make them just completely overlook yeah, exactly. that. I mean, even in episode three, when Mace Windu says, like, I sense a disturbance in the force, like the dark side of the force surrounds the chancellor. It's like, well, you're feeling the dark side surrounding the chancellor. And you know, there's a Sith master out there who you've been looking for, who Dooku told you is controlling the Senate. Like, even in that moment, you couldn't put two and two together. Yeah. <laughs> too little, too late. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but. Yeah, the movie's over already, but man, <laughs> but I do love the last few shots we got in the film. The one with the clones heading off to war and hearing the Imperial March. Man, that was, you know, being the Imperial Trooper fan that I am, seeing that in the theater. Still to this day, I love it. It just goes perfectly. It's so cool. Just a, uh, you know, a note that as, was a cool as a fantasy, but know that dark times are ahead for the Republic. Kind of like mm-hmm. a dark foreshadowing that just perfectly captured. And just seeing those ships take off with the clone troopers, I didn't realize it then back in the theater in 2002. But 
how it would lead to some of the best Star Wars stories ever that we got in the Clone Wars and with those troopers, man. So it does, feels even more better now knowing what we got from the Clone Troopers. So I just love that ending sequence. Yeah, that's I, I've always loved that scene there at the end with the clones like boarding the ships and everything. And like you said, hearing that uh, first swell of the Imperial March and just that foreshadowing of not only what's to come in the Clone Wars and for the Republic, but then what that is eventually going to become with the Empire. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're totally right about this being just a jumping off point for the Clone Wars and how many great stories and everything we got, um, you know, in the, the time period after this. So, um, man, I can't wait to get into Revenge of the Sith, but then this also is making me want to just go back and like watch some Clone Wars too. And heck, maybe one of these days, maybe we'll even, <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll even do a commentary for like, see, I feel like if we were going to do a commentary, it's like, well, we should do like the Clone Wars movie. Cause what are you going to do? Do commentaries for every episode, but it's like, it gets Probably so good. much better than the movie. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But again, some of those later arcs are pretty much movies in themselves. Ugh, yeah. So good. Yeah, that's true. Um, heck, you know what? Maybe we could do a commentary for like the Siege of Mandalore for the Clone Wars finale or something like that. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe down the road we could do that. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 Somewhere down the road. Because, I mean, obviously that's not coming out till later this year, anyways. And we're focused on just, you know, the live action and saga films for right now. But, um, mm, right. Yeah, definitely, you know, glad to see kind of the origin of the Clone Wars in this movie and uh, just so many awesome stories that we were able to get um, just based off of this. Yeah, I mean, just watching it again, I <laughs> just reaffirms why this is one of my favorite Star Wars movies. As crazy as it sounds, probably to most fans, I just think it has a lot to offer and to love, despite some of the rocky stuff we get in the Anakin Padme relationship and the dialogue and even some of the humor like we talked about with 3PO and all that but man this is one of the most important Star Wars movies too as far as when you look at the story and what's it what it sets up and uh, what it does for certain characters it's just a lot going on for it like I said the story is I felt one of the more interesting ones it's established one of my favorite aspects of Star Wars being the clone the clone troopers the clone wars seeing Jedi like we never got to see before Yoda showing why he was the most powerful Jedi ever at that point. And just so much stuff that I look for as a Star Wars fan that definitely outweighed the the bad that's in the movies. There's just so much more good in it that I think gets overlooked and just the focus always gets on the negative stuff. But man, there's just so much to love about it for me as a fan. That's why, as I said at the beginning, I left the theater just thinking I saw one of the best Star Wars movies and just had a great experience with it, left it on such a high and, yeah, I mean, again, we'll get to our rankings eventually down the line, but this one is probably going to be higher than what most people have it is because I know a lot of it, a lot of fans have it at the bottom as their least favorite, but that's not going to be the case for me. And then again, just watching it again with you guys tonight just reaffirms why I love it so much and just all that it has to offer. So yeah, I'll always continue to support Attack of the Clones and be one of its biggest supporters. Yeah, see, it's weird for me because I mean, I love it too. Um, and I love all these movies. I love Star Wars. Like, you know, this one is one of my least favorites, but there's still so much cool stuff in here. And yeah, I think, of course. I, I mean, for me, episodes one and two will always be, I think will always be my least favorite Star Wars movies just because of the flaws and the stuff that could have been done better. Um, 
and I think, but there's all, you know, there's so much more to, like, there's so much to love, too, and so much, like, I think the positives outweigh the negatives. That's why I still love the movie. Um, and I pretty much agree with all the stuff you were talking about, Tim. Like, I love the plot. I love the Battle of Geonosis and the the kicking off of the Clone Wars and all that kind of stuff. Um, but just, you know, with some of the stuff with the dialogue and the CGI and the acting and just some of the problems that this movie has, it's more than a lot of other Star Wars movies have. Um, yeah. So I, f I just feel like a lot of other Star Wars movies still have a lot to love with less of the issues. Um, but I certainly don't hate this movie. It's not like I try to bury it at the bottom of my list. It's like, um, you know, you could almost build your, your list of favorite Star Wars movies from the bottom up. And I would just be like, well, hey, you know, it's uh, Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. They're flawed, but they're great movies and I still love them. So I'll just start with those and then it just gets better and better from there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it's funny, like just watching, uh, Phantom Menace and then also watching Attack of the Clones with you guys, it's been for me, probably some of the most fun times that I've had watching these movies in oh, recent yeah. memory. Definitely. Because also my opinions do kind of flip flop on them, uh, on these movies. Like as I watch them, sometimes there have been times when I've watched the Phantom Menace or Attack of the Clones and the issues maybe have bothered me more, or I maybe haven't enjoyed it as much, but I've. Um, really enjoyed watching both of them so far with you guys. And I can't wait to get to, you know, Revenge of the Sith and the movies that I really love that are more towards the top of my list. Cause I think that's going to be, you know, just even more fun getting to, uh, dive in and discuss those. Yeah. Attack of the Clones is, you know, I, it's obviously, I think the weakest script we have of the, of, of the Star Wars. And I, I think that it's, the story isn't weak. It's just the weakest execution of the script of all the, of all what, um, 10 Star Wars films we've gotten or wait, no, how many Star Wars films we gotten now? Yeah, it's 10. Yeah. 10. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sorry. My math is bad always. So that being said, I think, I think, I think attack of the clones is one of those things where you just kind of, uh, there's it's not it's like again it's not my favorite it's definitely towards the bottom it's definitely probably my least favorite of all but there's so much great stuff in it i still love it's it like i said it's just it just there's moments about it that i just it does kind of i do cringe a little bit and it's still you can tell george is still trying to like he went full bore into digital technology it doesn't always it holds a lot of it holds up some of it doesn't with dexter and things like that possibly but you know, at the same time, it's Star Wars. I love it. There's so much great stuff in it to love. And, you know, it's setting up my one of my all time favorite Star Wars movies in Revenge of the Sith. So I cannot wait to talk about Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, me neither. I mean, not to jump ahead. I will just say Revenge of the Sith still has a few issues. I wish I could say that Revenge of the Sith is my favorite Star Wars movie. Like it's not because there are movies that I think are better executed that I have to put ahead of it. And there are, you know, just a couple of issues that I still have that drag it down just a little bit, but it also has some of my favorite moments of the entire saga. So I'm, yeah, I definitely going to have a blast talking about that well, one. We're, but, yeah. We're going to have a good debate because I, I, I totally get it's not perfect by any means, but I just don't care because it's just because all, <laughs> oh, yeah. all the stuff, it's one of those things where all the stuff I love, I love about it is just, I love it so much. It, it brought me back. We're going to, we're, we're saving, we're going, we're going too far in us. We're saving this. For yeah. Well, it's, it's a little preview for next time, but yeah. And, and when I talk about it, having issues and stuff, I mean, I'll just say this Revenge of the Sith is my third favorite Star Wars movie. I Same wish, here? I wish yeah, I could put here. it at number one, but it's still at number three. So it's not like I'm going to be complaining about all the issues and stuff. Like I'll be, uh, I'll be cringing with everybody else when Anakin goes, you're so beautiful. Oh, it's only man. because I'm so in love. You know, like we could just get that out of the way now. But no, there, I, there's so much to love about that movie. 
<laughs> no, I, it's Revenge of the Sith is my third favorite Star Wars movie. So yeah, and it's and and this is barring four new ones we've gotten in the last what six years, whatever, and mm-hmm. it has not budged. Like nothing has come. Rogue One is the closest one to come to it, but it's Revenge of the Sith is just special, and we'll talk about yeah. that. When we get mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, that to come on our next episode, um, well, I don't know if it'll be our next episode, so we might have a, a regular episode in between then, but uh, on the next installment of our Star Wars uh, film commentaries, um, but hope you guys have enjoyed our discussion of Attack of the Clones, um, thanks for tuning in, and uh, if you did, uh, thanks for watching along with us, hope you guys enjoyed that, Um and as always, you can uh, find us online. Check us out at uh, Twitter, on Twitter, at... Blah, blah, blah. Okay, I'm going to do that again. Um, <laughs> as always, you can find us online. We're on Twitter at Star Wars TSC, uh, at Facebook.com slash Star Wars The Saga Continues. Uh, you can send us email at Star Wars TSC at gmail.com and uh, check out our website at Star Wars TSC.com. Uh, to uh, see all the latest that's going on with the podcast, all the news stories and stuff that we're uh, keeping up with. Um, It's an awesome year for Star Wars. Lots of cool stuff going on. um, And uh, we're glad to have you guys along with us. So thank you for listening. We will see you next time. And may the Force be with you. See you next time, everybody. Godspeed, Rebels!